I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and produced by Nicholas Lott. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Yo, welcome to Gravity Lab Radio. Uh, sitting here tonight with Mr. Ben Nelson, a.k.a. Mini P. How you been, Ben? Mini P, what? Oh, you took that name on yourself, buddy. Uh, probably. So uh, Ben Nelson has been here with us before. He is... Let me, let me take these glasses off. A skydiver extraordinaire. <laughs> He's trying to be too cool for school. Man, I already, I already joined you in the, uh, in the glasses revolution here. Oh, should we keep them on then? I mean, I'm feeling pretty cool. I don't know. How do you feel? Well, pimping ain't easy, but it's necessary, I'll tell you that. Ah, oh, man. Now I feel left out. Now, now I'm just going to sit here and pout. Uh, <laughs> ben is one of our skydiving buddies, and it's cool. We like to talk a little bit about skydiving. Um, but, dude, you just came back from your, your... You can't help yourself, can you? I can't. I'm sorry. All right. Gone with the glasses. Glasses are gone. Sorry. So, wait a minute. How did we start this show before we went live? What were you saying earlier? Um, something about uh, the events of my life are quite inconsequential. <laughs> you practiced that voice, In the you? summer, we would make meat helmets. <laughs> ben, what, what exactly... Is a meat helmet, if you had to give it a description. <laughs> well, obviously, it's a helmet of meat. I mean, it seems pretty straightforward. Okay, all right. Well, I thought it was going to get a lot more inappropriate so, than actually, that. Actually, before, well, if <laughs> yeah. you want to be inappropriate, before we, get no, it's ki- be- fine. before we get kicked off, I want to make it known <laughs> to the world, because apparently last time there was a problem with me having a pillow on my lap. <laughs> and so it started, it started to be called a cock pillow. As if something was going on underneath that pillow. I, I really feel <laughs> and like I wanted I, to make a note of the fact that I don't have a cock pillow tonight. I really feel like it went pretty much the whole podcast without anyone mentioning that, and then I brought it up. Isn't that how it happened? I don't know. No, that so, sounds familiar. All Sorry. I know is I've gotten more shit since the last time I did this because everyone's like, "What's with your cock pillow, bro?" <laughs> Way to go, Nick. Way to start a revolution, man. Hey, I'm a leader. What can I say? You are a leader. This is this you, is maybe a you bit- need a meat helmet. This is a little bit different because last time we sat here, Ben, you stared at the mic every time we talked to you like, now you're on. Huh? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. You, uh, you, you're already a couple beers in. Last time you needed a little more of a kickstart. Tonight you couple feel fresh. Beers. I'm like a beer and a half in. You, you just feel more comfortable with that. All right, I'm a couple beers in. <laughs> so <laughs> you just came back from your first base jumping trip. You just so wanted to full, jump off Full disclosure, wasn't my first base jumps, first base trip. Oh, I thought it was your first base jumps. I'm no, such a I mean, liar. I only have a couple of base jumps prior to that, so it's not like a major In issue. undisclosed locations. Yeah, with undisclosed people. Um, but I will say it was awesome in the sense that uh, it was just it was a different experience, man. Way better than I thought it could be. So you have, what, two, three base jumps before you go here? Uh, I probably had five, six. Five, six. So, and so- tennis. So something when you sit back in the producer chair, something Mini P has, or Mr. P, and I have to remind ourselves, is there are a handful of people who are non-jumpers listening to this, so we have to define things now. Yes. Uh, my sister gave me a lot of grief, and I hate her. Base jumping is an acronym, stands <laughs> hey, don't, for... don't talk about my best friend like that. <laughs> you know that we're close, <laughs> all right? You heard that, Debbie, right there. That shout-out's for you, girl. <laughs> oh, my God. She drives to work and listens to this show nonstop. And I think she's going to have a car accident when she hears that because she's going to laugh so hard at everybody. <laughs> You're a bunch of idiots. Um, so, yes, BASE is an acronym. 
It stands for boobs, ass, semen, erections. I think. Is that right? I got that right. Did look that up for me <laughs> yeah, if you I'm will. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'll post the link for that one. Yeah, go ahead. Do that. It stands for building. <laughs> <laughs> building antenna spanned earth. Earth. And e- e- building off a bridge, jumping off a bridge, jumping off a cliff, off a uh, uh, building. Yeah, antennas, building, antennas, any fixed yeah. structure, any fixed structure. They, a lot of people call it fixed structure skydiving or fixed structure parachuting. And a good handful of our friends have actually made base jumps. Um, some of them in the hundreds or more figures, and uh, some of our friends have never even heard of it, man. Yeah, possibly. So full disclosure, I do not even remotely consider myself to be an expert base jumper. Oh, just want to make no. just want to make that perfectly no, clear no, right no, no, now no, no. that that's not what I'm trying to say. But I did have a pretty good experience, and I think maybe my perspective as a as a uh, pretty experienced skydiver might be a little bit different. Than a lot of people, but I don't know. I don't no, really answer that. I I um so as you know, I only have five base jumps myself. I did the same thing you did, a little bit differently. I went out to Prine, Idaho, and uh, actually did a very informal base course. We had some supervision by like a guy named Sean Shumo was watching over, uh, making yeah, sure we were yeah. doing good. Uh, he was My, out there. Yeah, Miles was there and, and gave us no grief also and understood like ah oh, we know where you guys are at. So it was a very informal course, but I also went out there already knowing how to pack a base rig. Um, I already went out there with a lot of the education. Awesome. And uh, I don't recommend the way I did it, though. Really? Yeah. Um, you know, it's very informal. The guy who PCA'd me off the bridge and pilot shoot assist, if you've never been base jumping, if it's low enough or if it's a first jump, it's common that people will hold on to your pilot chute, basically pulling your canopy off of your back. So you open right away. Static line for you skydivers is kind of a way to think about it. Um, so Bart Stone Street. Yeah, Bart. PCA Jason Hyder on Jason Hyder's first base jump. That please, was, please tell me Jason shit his pants. That, um, would, oh, that would make me feel so awesome. He almost that. fell over backwards running like he was Carl Lewis throwing his pilot chute rotating to his back at one point. That's actually even better than shitting his pants. <laughs> I'm going to say that he didn't. He didn't get beyond five degrees past vertical, so he okay. was barely. Okay. But he was definitely going that way, and he said, screw the delay. Let's get this out of my hand right now. Nice. Um, if you ever watch a shake hands in the plane... You'll see we run somewhere in that handshake. Uh, nice. So uh, <laughs> Jason Hyder, he'll turn around and tell you that I am Mr. Thro- uh, throw and go. Th- they told me to do a go and throw. Jump off the bridge, throw the pilot chute one second and off the bridge. you threw it and went? No, I went and threw. At the same time? No, I went and threw. But it was that quick. I mean, it's clear. Watch it. Yeah. Jason says, no, he threw, counted to three, and then jumped off the bridge. <laughs> as, the, as the pilot shoot just kind of like... <laughs> yeah. So you'll see in the plane, we'll, th- we'll throw... I want to know where these videos are of your guys' Start running. base uh, trip. Um, I got to see these. I got to see Hyder doing the uh, Carl Lewis off the bridge. I don't think we have video of that. Um, but go to either one of our Facebook pages. There's videos. So disappointed. Um, there's pictures. Dude, one of the funnest fucking vacations I've ever been on was with Jason Hyder. We're not even talking about base. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so he doesn't talk. He's, he's used, used to, to weird. With him. He's used to weird pains in his he, body. Like oh, I don't remember a pain there before, yeah. but oh, he's whatever, awkward. No big deal. Yeah, man. He was navy. Just to interrupt you guys, we have people saying that they are not hearing us on the uh, Facebook Live. Feed. Good for them. <laughs> yeah. They can't hear. Man, us. yeah. God bless them. <laughs> um, so why don't you talk to Ben for a second? You want me to check it out? Uh, yeah, if you got some ideas. Yeah, I don't know what if I do, but uh, I'll be right back. All right. So, Ben, when was your first base jump then? Oh, gosh, probably, uh, I'd say maybe a year ago. No, it was it was after after I had learned how to do some paragliding and, and speed flying. So I guess it was a little under a year ago, like July-ish. So how does it compare to your first skydiving experience? 
Uh, man, that's a tough one. I want to say it ranks right up there with... Uh... So I was thinking about this the other day, right? And I don't know whether whether you believe in, in uh, evolution or whether you believe in divine intervention, but regardless of, of what you think, fear is something that's kind of instilled in all of us as human beings. And I think that that's a natural reaction to keep us alive, right? We have that fear so that when something goes crazy um, or when we're about to do something that's crazy, that fear kicks in and goes, hey, you shouldn't do this. This is a bad idea. You're going to die. Whether it's a kid like touching a stove and burning their hand, now they have that fear instilled in them, don't do that again, right? And I think one of the weirdest parts for me is, and I was trying to think back to what it was like learning how to sports skydive uh, back in the day or going to the bridge for the first time. You have that natural fear inside you, but you're not sure if that's an unnatural fear of like, I shouldn't jump off this bridge, or if it's a fear of like, I just don't know everything, but I'll be fine. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, I, I know the feeling of just just feeling like you're doing you're afraid because something's new and different. Correct. But then there's also that primal fear of like, hey, th- this thing's gonna kill me. I shouldn't be here doing this right now. <laughs> exactly. So I, I understand the difference. And so you kind of get to the point where you're like, uh, you know what? Uh, am I am I afraid to jump off this bridge or afraid to jump off this antenna because it's because I shouldn't because my my experience and knowledge is saying, hey, there's something wrong and I shouldn't do this or is it just that natural this is not a natural thing to do jumping out of a plane is very similar right it's like it feels like we weren't really intended to do that but we're doing it and so your first i don't know how many skydives it took you but i mean i want to say my first probably 15 skydives i had that natural fear as i approached the door of like i shouldn't be doing this but i don't think it was i think it was just fear it wasn't that i didn't have a knowledge of of the fact that i was probably going to be okay i was just like scared and so when you're standing on the bridge or you're standing on an antenna looking down at the ground you're like oh shoot uh is this fear that i'm getting this thing that's telling me not to do this is it because i shouldn't actually do this based on knowledge the knowledge of like i don't know what i'm doing or is it just i'm scared but i have everything i need to survive so you were much more prepared for the your your jump off the bridge i'm assuming that there was a lot more training Prior to that jump, yes. So, which which was more uh, intimidating? Which which, oh, the, which had your heart beating more? Oh, the antenna, by by far. I didn't have a I didn't have a good knowledge of. Oh, here, thanks for the cock pillow. I didn't have a good knowledge of uh, of how the the how things were packed. I didn't have a good knowledge of why we were PCAing and why we, I didn't have a knowledge of why we were doing all those things. I was just being told what to do. It's like do this, and then uh, oh yeah, you've got lots of skydives. You'll be fine. And I remember not feeling fine after any of those jumps. I could imagine. I, a, I could guess with who some of those friends might be. <laughs> yeah. um, B, I could imagine they were executed safe enough. Uh, looking back with the knowledge I have now, yeah, it was, it was safe. Yeah. But I just didn't have the knowledge to know whether or not it was. I was just really honestly trusting somebody to make a good decision for me. And I would rather be in a position in most things in life where I can make a good decision for myself. Yes, Please. DJ, I can get your drink. You could have asked me over the microphone. Oh, dude, I didn't, man. 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 Got headphones for a reason. I don't like hearing you. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Nick. Uh, thank you for all of you letting us know there were audio problems. Audio is still jacked, according to Frank Chance. So many echoes, according to Ronnie Main. 
Um, I'm pretty sure I know why. So, Nick, I'm going to let you talk to Ben some more so you guys don't have to put up with oh me. My gosh. They're trying no. to get rid of me. This is so bad. That's what it is. All right, Ben. So, uh, so what, tell what, me, how big is your genitals? <laughs> I, we already know that <laughs> no one's going to be impressed by that answer. So, uh-oh, DJ's coming over. Is it going to get weird? Yeah. Both of us on this camera? Lead in. Give us a little... I'm, uh, do you want me to describe what I'm seeing right now? <laughs> no. All right, so, so there's... Nobody's wearing much? pants, from what I can tell right now. <laughs> there's a lot of... I don't even know which one's the big spoon or the little spoon. That's how intertwined they are right now. So how much preparation goes into it before you make that first base jump? Quite a bit. Uh, quite a bit of preparation. First of all, um, depending upon who you decide to get the training from... Um, typically speaking, <clears throat> they give you some material to read beforehand. Uh, a lot of times they'll either send you a video or they will give you um, access to a, to a website that will give you some instruction on how to pack a base rig. And so there's a little bit of knowledge you need to show up to the, to the bridge um, with. That means that uh, if you show up and you're not prepared, you're going to be behind the gun and that's going to cause delays as to how many jumps you can get or what you're going to get out of the course. Um, so typically speaking, yeah, there's a few things you need to know before you show up. And then, of course, the natural skills and abilities of skydiving do somewhat cross over to base jumping in some senses. So if you have a good general understanding of things like how to fly a canopy appropriately or if you have a good understanding of what a can like the parts of a canopy, you know, you show up to the bridge with 120 skydives and you've only packed your parachute to get your A license, there's a good chance you're going to have to learn a lot more about that canopy before you're going to be able to actually jump it. So, And, and how was it making the uh, adjustments compared to your uh, Valkyrie difficult. To, to now this big big boat of a thing? Difficult, very difficult. Uh, some of the things that I noticed were, were the fact that, you know, the, some of the canopies that we fly in skydiving, you know, we're starting our turns a thousand feet above where we jump at the bridge. Yeah. You're leaving lower than you can turn. The lower than we would normally turn. Yes. And so uh, there was one uh, there was one time at the bridge where um, I exited, I uh, I had my parachute out and I was making a brake turn on a on a two hundred and fifty square foot canopy and I started the turn and I said, Nope, that's too low. My visual acuity said that that was too low. And so I ended up turning back around and landing downwind into the water. I felt like it was the safest thing to do, and it probably was, but I got wet. And in talking with, uh, with Jimmy and Marta, the people that were running our, our course, um, he kind of made the point of saying, you know, a lot of people that come with a lot of experience, lots, thousands of skydives, they fly small canopies. It's hard for you to adjust your visual acuity down to the point where you can say, I can make this low turn on this canopy under these circumstances. But visually, your your eyes are saying, nope, don't do that. Yeah. But you can. <clears throat> My advantage when I went, I think, was I was still very active as a tandem instructor. Cock pillow. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it You worked. saw Brian's yeah. comment, didn't you? What? No, he didn't. Brian, uh, hiding his awkward bow. <laughs> a yes. much smaller pillow would be just as good. <laughs> Wait, which Brian? Uh, Brian DeGray? Brian, Brian uh, fuck that guy. Yeah. I mean, fudge that man. Yeah. Um, fudge thank, that gentleman. Thank you, everybody, on Facebook for the audio. Um, for all you Apple Mac fans and Mac users, you'll be happy to hear that was a Windows issue. So uh, uh, Windows had a major update. I turned on my computer when I got home, and the one that broadcast all the video and it had like 30 minutes of updates to do, and apparently it changed all my audio settings. Mm. So sorry about that. Thanks for the heads up. Really appreciate it. But it means now you got to go back and download Gosh, this thing. Now they, gotta, now they actually have to listen to what we have to say, which is probably the worst part of the whole night for them. Just watching you is bad enough. 
Agreed. Oh, ouch. Yeah. So do my a, eyes hurt already. Where's my cock pillow? I need my cock yeah. pillow. Yeah, you want to cry in it? Probably. So uh, yeah, my my tandem jumps. You, I'm willing to turn lower on a tandem canopy than my Valkyrie or my Correct. Velocity. So that really was a huge help. Jason and I, I we did our first base jump together. And uh, it was a good time, man. That's and sorry I missed out on a lot of y'all's conversation. So I'm just going to repeat everything y'all talked about. Well, apparently nobody heard it, so we're good. Uh, we're, we're golden. I was too busy trying to fix the audio at that point. Um, everybody doing that. Um, I, I had only made two goals for this podcast. One was to have a podcast with zero technical difficulties. Done. Boom, that's already gone. Sir. And the second one was to not be mean to Ben Nelson. Well. Pfft. We cock got a pillow. long time to go, man. I don't feel like you're going to accomplish <laughs> hey, that goal. I, I did not bring up cock pillow. Uh, Actually, you brought it up. Yeah, so and prompted I'm, me to grab. I it. think I'm still uh, in the clear right now. Hey, you know what? At the end of the day, it's better than Trent's ass pillow. What? I don't think I know are about you talking Trent's about? Ass Trent Elkeck has an ass pillow because the seats, manifest. The seats in manifest are hard, and that's where he does his work. Mm. And so he's got a pillow that he keeps storing underneath the the counter in manifest, and he pulls it out and sits on it every day. But it's actually starting to stink the place up because it's so nasty and dirty. <laughs> so I just wanted to deflect my cock pillow problems to Trent, who has an ass pillow problem. <laughs> so maybe we need to like start a GoFundMe account for Trent's new ass pillow? We need to get him one of those uh, hemorrhoid donuts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I feel like that's the most appropriate thing for Trent. That, w- that would work best, man. <laughs> um. Oh my God! I just I don't know what to do with you anymore. <laughs> I, I I asked you back on for a good time. I asked you to come hang out because I thought this would be fun, and you just I'm embarrassed for you. Oh well, <laughs> probably is accurate. <laughs> so I'll how accept many that. how many days were you at the bridge? I don't know if you guys talked about. Oh that. man, Sorry. so uh, I showed up on a I think I left on a Thursday morning, got there Thursday night. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, I was jumping off that bridge, and it was. The weather was pretty good the whole time I was there. I think maybe we had one day that was just slightly too windy. But for the most part, it's just like just like anything else. You kind of kind of sit on the wet, wet, wait on the weather to see when you can go. And y'all talk about how many jumps you got while you were there? Uh, I probably got somewhere, I think if I did the math, it was like, I have a total maybe now of 25. I probably did 20. Oh, nice. 20 when I was there, maybe. I'd have to look. What was your first jump? Uh, PCA. Yeah. PCA off the bridge, and uh, it was awesome. It was amazing. It was fun. Uh, the winds were coming from a direction that caused us to actually have to fly a flight pattern, which is... Coming from the bridge? Coming coming back towards the bridge, which yeah, yeah. was kind of weird. But other than that, the rest of the trip, it was basically landing into the landing away from the bridge, which was nice. While we were there, everything was actually either no wind or go ahead and bring it back to the bridge, which uh, yeah, it was actually a shorter walk if we flew a pattern. Nice. What direction. time of year were you guys there? August, I want to say, somewhere okay. around there, plus or minus a month. But nice. I'm pretty sure it was August. Um, dude, great time. One of the things that I like that you mentioned is I, I don't mind the way I did it. I felt like we were very safe. Everything was good. We were actually probably extra cautious because we were being cautious. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had been encouraged that you guys can do different delays. You can try a few other things that you have. And we're like, ah, we're, we're, you know, we're pushing the edges it is. Let's, let's be mm-hmm. smart about it. But you went to Apex. Is that, that's. I did. I went through Apex Base, uh, Jimmy and Marta, um, super knowledgeable, super knowledgeable people. I think uh, one of the things that was uh, was awesome initially was they just said, look, everything we're going to be talking about, most of the stuff we're going to be talking about throughout this thing is how to jump this bridge safely, because this is what we're going to be jumping. But it was pretty clear that leaving a first jump course like that, and I actually stayed and did what's called an advanced course after the fact, 
you know, leaving that doesn't necessarily mean you're ready for cliffs or doesn't mean you're ready for buildings, but you're building a knowledge base, right? Kind of like coming out of uh, kind of like coming out of AFF with an A license, you you're not ready to go do some of those things that you want to do, but you have that base knowledge that you need in order to build on that. And um, and they did an excellent job of laying that foundation, I think, in my opinion. So. Yeah, I've heard nothing but great things. And that's one of the reasons I ask. Um, Luke Hively, we're taking next week off. So next week we're taking a break. And you already know this, and I believe you know this, uh, Mr. Lott. I'm dropping shit. Uh, June 20th, Luke Hively is going to be in town. Luke Hively runs the Rating Center Canopy Courses in Dallas. But to me, and more importantly, he is the author behind Lucid Dreams, or he's the yeah. editor behind the Lucid Dreams series. Some of the best videos I think I've ever seen. Dude, and Nick, if you don't mind, share Lucid Dreams 3 and Lucid Dreams 4 on YouTube. Are they on uh, YouTube or Vimeo? Yeah, YouTube under Luke Hively. Uh, he has his own account, whatever. Um, and, dude, uh, Lucid Dreams 3, base, base, yep. base proxy, was his more aggressive uh, flights. He's mm-hmm. backed off a little bit since. 800,000-some-odd uh, 800, views. Mm-hmm. So it, it's done well for itself. So he'll be out here. How many views is on Lucid Dreams 3? 813,329. Dude, and it's worth every view yeah, of it. It's awesome. So Luke uh, does a lot of wingsuit and base stuff, and he actually has worked with Apex quite a bit. And yeah, fantastic. Just brags on Jimmy and Marta. Oh man, they're they are absolutely fantastic. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And you know, uh, I, I'm, what I will say is, uh, I think anybody that you go with is going to provide you with really good quality training. I might be a little bit biased because this they're who I chose to go through, um, but I can't speak. I can't speak any more better about them than I am now. There's not words that I can put out there to say how awesome the the training was and how awesome they were as, as individuals, which was yeah a, an excellent experience. I've seen a few of the guys do ba- uh, first jump courses out there um, or in other places, and I, I've got a lot of kudos. Uh, go to Miles Dasher. He kills it. Yep. Go to uh, Sean Chuma. He does a great job. He oversaw our first PCAs. Um, kind of was our guide along the way the, of this unofficial version, but dude, Apex, I hear nothing but professionalism out yeah. of them. Yeah, good I mean, work. top shelf uh, instruction. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the best, uh, one of the things that really helps me, uh, when I learn, it's very... It's very good for me to, to learn when I know the why. When like you, it's not just yeah. tell you what to do something or say you should do this, but there's an explanation as to why you should do that because yeah. it sticks in my brain a lot easier. And um, they definitely that was definitely the crux of the course for me was they they go out of their way to explain why it is we are planning on doing what we're doing or why they're teaching us this way, uh, which helps me remember and helps me learn. Um, and so that was that was key for me. They did an excellent job of. It's not just saying you should do this, but you should do this because, and here's why you should do this. So you have how many, I'm going to draw a point with this question. You have how many skydives? Uh, 7,061 as of today, I think. 7,600 skydives. I'm going to round that oh, off. 7,061. 7, 000, you have 7,000 7, skydives. That, dude, you got 7,000 skydives yep. either way. That, that is fun, a bung load, yeah. man. Uh, you've flown a lot of canopy. You have a lot of background. Lots. You're a coach. You're an instructor. Mm-hmm. You've accomplished a lot. But Yet you still say, I learn best if you tell me the why. Correct. People will assume you're knowledgeable. You understand the sport. You understand what's going on. And they're kindred sport, no doubt. Mm-hmm. And people will assume that as much as you know, I don't have to teach you the why's you can get it. And, that, and that's so many teachers. You and I witness instructors every day for our living. Mm-hmm. So many teachers don't explain why and don't get how important. It's not just to you. It's to almost everybody. Very few people does the why help. Yeah. But understanding why helps us understand the process. Correct. 
It certainly helped me. Yeah. <clears throat> if you, um, in this base trip, man, 20-ish base jumps. We yeah, something day, around yeah. there. Um, I've Over seen, time. I've seen some of your videos. You do a couple different base jumps, and mm -hmm. I, I, I'll lose all the names said and done. What was your absolute favorite jump that trip? Um, I can't, I couldn't name the, my favorite jump. I mean, they were all amazing from the first one to the last one. Uh, I think the, the thing that I got out of it the most was, I mean, it's just like skydiving. You should be learning something from every jump. And I think the thing that really impressed me about how Jimmy and Marta did what they did is they give you drills to work on. And these are drills that you aren't just going to work on at the bridge. You can work on them at home under bigger canopies. Uh, you can work on them, uh, at least think through them a little differently, not in a position where you're jumping off the bridge, but they give you things to work on. And the one thing that really stuck out in my brain was the fact that the vast majority of the stuff we were doing at the bridge revolved around flying a canopy. And so a lot of people that go into base jumping with not a lot of skydives, I don't know if they understand the fact that canopy flight is so important in base jumping that if you kind of skip over that, if you, if you're not, really familiar with that. Now they're not only are they trying to teach you to base jump, they're also trying to teach you how to fly a canopy when you could have logged a lot more skydives, <clears throat> excuse me, and come better prepared to a course like that. Kind of like saying, uh, now they're trying to teach you how to base jump and teaching you how to pack because you showed up at the course with 120 skydives and you only had to pack that one time for your A license and you haven't packed since. I'm not, not saying that people that do that aren't going to learn and aren't going to progress. I think you're going to progress a lot faster. Your learning curve is going to be a lot steeper when they can simply focus on this aspect of it and they don't have to focus on the things you could have learned skydiving. I absolutely that agree, man. No, it makes total sense. You know, stay here, sit here, know how to pack, know how to fly a parachute, know how to do those things so you can make the most of the base part of the experience because right. they're still jump, they're still skydive, they're still parachute. Mm -hmm. The base is the different part. Mm -hmm. And I, I do agree. I think you hinted to it, but you wouldn't say it. You're going to learn slower than you would have learned otherwise. Right. You might not learn slower than some people because, dude, I'm a slow fucking learner. It takes me a while to pick something up sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's one of the reasons I, I will really push hard at something because I, I work for it and I'll earn it. Um, you show up and all you, you know how to do all those things, dude? You focus on the Well, what else, I'll say this, you know. I know how to do all those things, and I consider myself to be a pretty good canopy pilot. You know, I have a pro rating, and I have, like you said, thousands of jumps. I'm I'm pretty accurate. I can be pretty accurate jumping into stadiums and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, man, some of those drills put me through the ringer. I bet. As an experienced skydiver, it was really t Some of those drills were very, very tough on those base canopies. And Like what? Uh, well, a couple things, like... Um, Base canopies are vented on the bottom mm -hmm. for the most part, uh, which means that they're not really going to collapse on you, but you can stall them. But when you stall them, they move backwards. And when you stall a, a skydiving parachute, what happens? It collapses. It rags and out. It rags out. These are designed so that you can get away from a, uh, an object if you have a 180 or an off-heading opening. Mm -hmm. um, not being used to that, uh, doing drills where you're pulling down on your rear risers until not only are you not moving forward, but you're going backwards and you can actually maneuver the canopy in that way was completely different to what I've been trained to do and what I've told people to do. You don't want to stall your canopy when you're flying a, a, a skydiving parachute. Yeah. In some cases, uh, you you need to do that in order to stay safe in, in base jumping or at least be ready to do that. And so running through those drills, it was like almost counterintuitive to what I learned. 
uh, in skydiving. It was almost like, you know, making low turns. It's better to make a, a, a land downwind or crosswind in skydiving than it is to make a low turn and pound into the ground. In base jumping, you can make those low, low turns safely, but it's counterintuitive to what I tell my students or what I would tell somebody else to do uh, in skydiving. And so it was almost like kind of rewiring my brain to for a different aspect of canopy flight than I've been used to uh, in the past. Sure. And, and don't get been wrong. You can definitely still do a low turn in any canopy. Correct. Um, but it, it's the definition of low turn changes dramatically. Very much so. Yes. Um, when we say you rag out your canopy, if you stall your canopy out the right way, and if you've taken a canopy course, a lot of us will make you stall the canopy to a collapse. When you got a rag above your head instead of an air mattress, that's what we mean by ragging it out. Mm-hmm. Some people have asked Mr. Frank Chance, AKA, I won't say his name. Mr. Frank Chance is, uh, that's my goal, Nick, not to say that name. There you go. Yeah. Well, now I want to know what that name is. <laughs> It'll be the first podcast I've ever done without saying that name. So you'll figure it out. Oh. Um, uh, that's what rags out a canopy means. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's definitely interesting. Um, I, I We didn't do any of those drills because, again, we were an informal setup. And I really would have loved to have thought to do those things or tried those things. Yeah. And the bridge is such a forgiving place to try those things. You know, uh, when you exit that bridge... Um, as long as you give yourself enough delay, if you have an off-heading opening, you're just going to go under the bridge. It's not going to be that big of a deal. You can figure out a way to get out of that or land in the water. The water is super forgiving. So in, in essence, to me, the bridge was a lot like a, a wind tunnel is to skydivers. gives you an opportunity to go to a place that's more controlled yeah. where you can practice things that you might not be able to practice in the sky or you wouldn't be able to practice on a building or practice on an antenna, but you can practice it at the bridge because the bridge is very forgiving. Not to say that it uh, hasn't claimed lives because it has, uh, but um, it gives you an opportunity to practice some stuff that you might not normally get to practice um, elsewhere, it's, legally. If you're thinking about learning to base jump, it's the reason Jason Hyder and I went there. The reason I believe you went there is it is one of the safest environments to learn a base jump in the United States. And legal. And <laughs> legal. And that's part of what makes it safe because there's no hiding, there's no rushing, there's no foregoing anything because I'm out there and the cops are actually hanging out with us. The cops don't even ask us a lot of questions because they actually understand enough of what's going on. Hell, half the time they were coming by and high-fiving us. Yeah, and they, they were super cool. So it, it's just such a legit environment as far as you're not hiding and rushing anything. And, and legal, illegal base jumps, that's up to you. But it's a safer environment to learn. And also what you said, you can go under the bridge. Uh, but don't get me wrong. You said people still die there, and those people Correct. are still dying because they actually take the safety of the bridge for granted. Mm-hmm. And, and we see it in, in skydiving and in wind tunnel in every place as well. They feel safer because they're in that environment. And next thing you know, they're broken. Yeah. I think there's also an aspect of, of uh, competency, competency that, that needs to be addressed when you run into situations of people that are in what could be a safe environment that are pushing it to a point where it causes injury or fatality. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Have you ever heard of the four competencies or the hierarchy of competency? Did you say I'm incompetent? Uh, well, I don't know. You might be. <laughs> no, I haven't. Ooh, ooh, you pick have, me, oh, you pick really? me. Pick Nick. Nick, have you? Uh, unconscious un- incompetence. So number one is unconscious incompetent. Yep. So I don't know that I don't know. Yep. Conscious competence. Conscious competence meaning? That I know that I don't know. You know that you don't know. I know that I where, suck at it. Which is, which is where progression can start taking place right what's the third one conscious competence 
Conscious competence. Meaning I can do it if I really think about it. You have to focus on it. It's yep. not supernatural for you to be to, to, to be able to do it, but if you focus on it, you can do it safely, yes? Unconscious competence is number four. Unconscious competence, where you are actually able to do it naturally. You just you physically are able to just do it. Um, so just to recap, the four I, I may have learned those from you. I may, you may have. Maybe. Uh, does this go with the chevron colors? Is this kind of a similar? Uh, yeah, yeah. This conversation Par- back in my uh, back in my safety days on in the oil field. So there's unconscious incompetence, conscious incompetence, unconscious competence, and conscious competence. I'm going to have to read this later on. You should uh, Wikipedia. Yeah. Uh, there's some good explanations on there. But one thing that I've noticed is that um, you know I will be at different levels of, uh, I'll be at those different levels of competence as I shift between these different sports. Obviously, my level of competency in skydiving translates somewhat over to base jumping, but not entirely to the point where my competence is as high as it is skydiving, as it would be in base jumping. If that makes sense. Yes, I do. I do a lot of other sports: scuba diving speed flying, paragliding, my level of competency shifts as I move between sports based on the amount of experience and knowledge that I have. And it's recognizing what your competency level is in order to make proper risk assessments that really helps you be safe when you switch between those activities. So I think this is a really good time for uh, Kevin Craig's question of, do you have an ultimate goal when it comes to base jumping? Kind of. (laughs) So uh, the reason that I just, well, a long time ago, I wanted to base jump mainly because, uh, I don't know if some people don't know this about me, but I used to be a, a, a climber, a rock climber. Um, I did a lot of big walls, alpine climbing. It was kind of my thing. That's what I did. And so spent a lot of time in Yosemite doing big wall climbing, multi-pitch, big rock, big wall type stuff, sport climbing, um, you know. But one of the things I always wanted to do was I always wanted to go jump off of those cliffs that we climbed, you know, because back in the 90s, there were some people that were doing it, but it wasn't nearly as popular as it is today. And there weren't definitely weren't schools that you could go to and get a basic education and, on how to jump off And there was no objects. Facebook to get likes on. There about was no Facebook. No, in fact, I, no was thinking, junkie. I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, when I was down climbing in Yosemite in the 90s, I had this really crappy little film camera. Uh, like actual film, and I, I'm saying this to people that I, I'm friends with on Facebook that have probably never actually seen film before, the kind that you have to actually stick in the camera and like crank it up, yes. and then you take pictures, pull it out, put another one in, and then at the end of your trip, you got to take it to a one-hour photo and get it all developed and stuff. And then, of course, you only share them with your friends by holding them up and actually putting them in their faces, <laughs> which is weird. I know. It's totally weird, people. I, I did a lot of photography in. I found out in college I'm good at photography. You have to take art in college. When I'm like, well, I didn't sign up for this shit, man. Yeah. That, I'm I'm here to be to go to school for engineering. What do you mean art? I can't draw a straight line with a ruler. Photography is an art class. I'm like, cool. I'll take pictures. Yeah. And actually realized I was decent enough at it. I I got a couple scholarships to pay for photography school through the rest of my nice. college, and I got a shitload of pictures, but. I don't know what to do with them anymore. I know. I need to scan them and put them on FaceBase. Ba- back in the day, the way that you would um, share with your friends, uh, I guess the best social media context that I could put this in would be you had what was called slideshows. Remember slideshows? <laughs> <laughs> like where you would invite your friends over to your house and you would do a slideshow of the trip that you went on. Oh my and you God. had the little cards that you'd stick in the trays and you'd, here we go, and the next picture, 
And now here we go. And <laughs> yep, there's the next one. I've I've actually sat through quite a number of those. Oh yeah. Only because I have an aunt and uncle who they do wildlife photography. Ah. Uh, and, and that's a, that's part of what they do as a hobby and for uh, a living. Okay. So they go to Africa usually Ooh. once a year. Yeah. And they do their trip and they come back and show everyone their photos. So it wasn't a like painful, terrible slideshow, but it was absolutely the the same thing. Yeah. But it was awesome. And I, I actually do that think that was about the Facebook that. of the day, man. Yeah, totally. Basically. But I do think about that when I do like when I shoot photos for a tandem video, I think about all right, I gotta I gotta make sure they can narrate every part of the slideshow. <laughs> I want grandma and grandpa slideshow yeah, to feature gra- this picture. If grandma has everybody to c- come over so they she can show exp- uh, you know, all the photos of her experience, I want to tell the whole story. Dude, I had a good time watching you. I, I don't when when you first showed up to Spaceland, I was phasing out of tandems. So I don't think we have tons of jumps together. And I also think you've honed your craft dramatically since then. Because when you showed up, you were still learning, and you still are. But, dude, Nick shot a tandem video for me the other day. And, dude, watching, like, hey, do you want a picture with the airplane? Hey, do you – I mean, you definitely are telling a story through that lens, He's man. definitely taking it to the next level. I mean, I I, I don't know how true that is. Come on, uh, toot your own horn. I mean, I, I, would, it. I would really love toot. to believe that that's true. It's totally true. But, uh, you know, I think that – uh, most of the things that I do well happen because someone pointed out that I didn't do it, w- it well before, or that I that's at least okay. have well, the only way. You, the only way you get better at something is acknowledging that you're not good at it. We learn from our mistakes is a cliche, but it's not a true cliche because most of us repeat our mistakes. And I, you, you don't have to claim talent. You don't have to claim anything else. But you cannot deny you're a hardworking man, and that's why you that, are where you're at. That's a compliment I'll take. Yes. And uh, DJ got taken on a real good ride on that tandem. I'm just gonna say. Ooh, I did not get taken on a ride. I got worked. Was this recently? Yeah, this yeah, was this weekend, dude. Wait, you took a tan- like a paying customer tandem? Well, uh, we got her the hookup price. Got her a little discount. Ah. Uh, my veterinarian. So this was a friend of a friend, or yeah, my veterinarian's uh, okay. got a foreign exchange student, a little eighteen year old well, German. This is probably girl. the first time in how many jumps that you were not. Front riding. Oh, dude, no. I take people with thousands of jumps on the front as well. <laughs> About once or twice a year, I get a real-life student. And really, all the rating courses I do is a recurrency jump every time. Yeah, true. And yeah. and I just did a recurrency jump with Homeboy before I did this one. So took her on a jump. And, dude... Oh, I got to tell the story because I had front row. You, oh, yeah, yeah. You so give it to us. You know that I have filmed... Eyewitness. Over 5,000 first-time jumpers. Yes. Over 5,000 tandems. I don't really? know what the exact you are number voyeur. is, but, but it's up there. Damn. You're definitely and a voyeur. I have not seen... <laughs> anyone do why are we not sharing with, this video right now with their legs what this girl did with her legs she was like imagine like the flying T with one leg straight down <laughs> but instead of the other leg being like where it would be in a neutral belly position it was fully out to the side like she's doing the splits with this leg laterally <laughs> yes. and the other one who she is, is this person she uh, some gymnast some well, German <laughs> chick 18 year old German girl Flexible as heck, apparently. That's all I can tell you. It was the craziest thing. The pictures of it are hilarious because, like, I kept trying to film it like a normal tandem video, you know? (laughs) But her leg, I knew her leg was just hanging out of frame because it's fully extended straight down, like, as if you were flying in the sand. I'm impressed she could do it. The same same spot and orientation that your foot would be. So she's bent 90 degrees at the waist with the foot straight down. And then the other one straight out at 90 she degrees. She was doing uh, a new thing that they're having at USPA Nationals next year, which is tandem artistic. Dude, no, it was a freestyle move. It was right? 100%, Free, freestyle 100% of tandem. freestyle Dude, move. she looked straight up freestyle. Freestyle tandems? At pool time, she had both legs not below her, but below her and slightly in front of straight down. No, nice. they, like she was... Uh, She's right, like it's, it's crazy. Nice it's crazy to even describe it because it's it's. 
uh, it's smaller than a 90 degree angle between her hips and her torso. Yes. Like she's, if she's folded like this, her legs are out here and wider Again, than her whole body. I'm trying to figure out why we aren't showing this video to because the world right on, now. Because it's on the computer at Skydive Space. It's uh, by far one of the worst deploying students. No, it's not one of. It is by far the worst deploying student I've ever had. I've been on the front riding tandem. I would love to see that. You, I've had some pretty bad students. And, and you see the stupid stuff I do with my legs, the stupid shit of me sticking a leg down and yeah. goofing off and doing that stupid thing saying one day you might have the student that bitch got revenge for every single one of you guys i have fucked with that is exactly the that is the move that parents say when it's like you're gonna have a kid someday that's exactly like you were when you were a kid no i mean she's still like she still did it like and when her legs were there they were incredibly strong but please tell me when you guys landed you were both just like you rocked it it was amazing (laughs) yeah i was honest with her because i know she'd see the video but I was also like, hey, you did a good job arching. And remember, keep your legs. Because she like <laughs> moved them there one at a time. It was like it was a performance arch. Like, bam. Yeah, it started off bam. okay. Like, I mean, she was a little bit de-arched at first. But it started off I think off maybe that's normal. the human reaction. Like, when you try to put a cat in a bathtub, the cat's just like, eh. I feel like that might be the human reaction when you exit a plane. It's like, eh. Dude, who's that chick in the wind tunnel who wears the all-white suit and does freestyle? Oh, you're talking about... Uh, yeah, Maya, uh, somebody. Dude, she, oh, I thought you were talking about um, Inca. She might have been her, too, but, you know, I mean, straight up, she had those poses rock solid. Photoshop me out, and she's winning. Well, all I can say is at the end of the day, if we don't uh, petition USPA for artistic tandem, then I don't know. I, we're wasting our time. Uh, you know, the, the place I started doing yoga is called Big Yoga, and the, the girl who owns the, the place came out and did a tandem like uh, maybe close to a year ago. A big tandem? A huge tandem. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she, her goal in free fall was to extend her leg and be able to reach over and grab her leg. And this girl is extremely flexible. She owns a yoga studio. She's been doing yoga for like 10 years. She couldn't come anywhere close to it. But this and girl this, with no oh, knowledge. This girl, if she would have given it a single second of thought, dude, her legs, she could have had both of them yeah. above her head like this. Dude. It was awesome. So what's she going to do for her level two? Oh, man. <laughs> Triple Lutz. <laughs> Triple Lutz. I think that's called a double sack cow, isn't it? I, that's ice skating. I'm making up words right now. I don't even know what triple lutz is. I know what a Pete lutz is, but that's a whole nother story, man. Nice. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> so to answer Homeboy's question, I was uh, I was a climber, and I that's when I got the uh, idea that jumping off all of those old climbs that I had done would be super fun someday. So how how high are these climbs? How what's the what what one would you pick first to uh, check that off your list? I don't want to say because they're all illegal at this point. So Ben Nelson, say it again a little louder into my lapel, please. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, which hikes were those? I would never do anything like that because I would never break the law. Yes, you would. Probably. Yes, you would. Uh, you know, uh, we did a lot of stuff in Yosemite, Twombly Meadows, a uh, bunch of stuff in California up near Bishop. Um, bunch of stuff up in Oregon, Smith Rocks, um, some stuff, a few different places all around the world. But, um, well, obviously El Cap and Half Dome are are on the list of things that I think need to be jumped. You're not spreading any rumors out there. That one's obviously. I think the hardest part for me at this point is recognizing the fact Mm -hmm. that I'm I'm old enough that I'm never going to be able to climb the way I was climbing back in my late teens, early 20s. You could climb and like a 20-year-old. So some of these... <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch. 
Um, and so yeah. some of these climbs uh, I can't access. You know, El Cap and Half Dome you can access from the backside, which means it's a hike, not a climb. Some of these climbs you can't access other than climbing them, and I don't know if I have the stamina to, to climb them or like, I, like I did back in the day. What if we start injecting you with copious amounts of testosterone? Uh, you don't have to do that. I am full of testosterone. No. From what? I'm bald. That's a, that's a <laughs> sign. Isn't that a sign being bald? Kevin Craig, help me. Isn't being bald a sign that uh, I thought it was that we have a lot of testosterone? I, I don't know if that's actually true. I have a very good friend. You've probably heard me talk about I'm him. I'm going to just assume it's true. He, he runs track in Utah. Uh, very, he's my best friend in Utah. His name's Chase. He owns a gym. Wait, he runs track and his name is Chase? Come on. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's really, Are you kidding me? Over my that's head. really funny. Never, uh, never <laughs> made that connection. But no, he, he's bald. Worse than you. And he got his testosterone checked. And he's a really fit... Worse than me? Worse, balder than you. Wow. Than Tommy? Bald. If that is a word. Worse like Tommy possible. bald? No, dude. He's Tommy like Mela bald? really, really bald. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. But, like uh, Pete Lutz bald. I just, like can Kevin we Craig just bald. get over the bald for a second? <laughs> <laughs> he's bald. Daddy he Warbucks. His, he got his testosterone checked, and it was super low. And now he's on testosterone replacement therapy and running really, really fast, faster than he's ever ran before. So we need to get you on some testosterone to get you climbing those walls again, son. I need to be in a place where I can climb. Dude, have you seen Vitor Belfort? That TRT shit works. Yeah. Oh, dude, have you not? Have you? You know who he is? No. MMA fighter. You look him up, and he looks like like a WWE wrestler. And they took away TRT and MMA, and all of a sudden he has total dad bod. He's nicknamed Dad Bod uh, Belfort now <laughs> by some MMA journalist. So uh, I read a p- report the other day that seventy percent of women prefer dad bods, but I think it was written by somebody with a dad bod. Yeah, they're full of shit. <laughs> Dude, that John Denver's full of shit. I'll tell you. <laughs> there's been rumors that but dad bods and beards are cool, and I'm like, I'm finally fucking close to cool. I'm this close to finally. That's why I think that it's full. That's why I think they're full of shit. Because you have both, them. and you're really not that cool. I'm gonna. I'm going with it though. And I'm glasses too. What's up with that? Four eyes. Oh. So during the day, if you ever walk up to me, people in the drop zone will greet me and wave at me all the time at the DZ, and I'll wave and say hello, and then when I get near you, you know, so I'll greet you by name. It's because from far away, I can't tell who you are. I just don't wear glasses on the DZ very often. I uh, have the same problem, but it's not that I can't see them. It's that I literally don't remember their name. It's actually that you don't care. And it's usually like, hey, man. <laughs> hey, hey, bud. Hey, bro. What's and if up, you're, buddy? If you're at the drop zone and Ben doesn't know your name, that's not a bad thing, dude. Actually, that's a very good thing. Yeah. If I know your name, that means that I'm watching and judging you. Yeah, that's something area. that's almost entertaining. People get upset that you don't know who they are, and it's like, dude... When you're in Ben's job, you don't want him to know who you are. If you're off Ben's radar, it's a good thing. Don't finish first. Don't finish last. Yeah. Um, not that Ben's totally an asshole, but his job is a safety <laughs> officer on the DZ. And when he sees people having problems, he's got to deal with them and, and hopefully give them some education and advice, which you usually do a good well, job of. I will say this. Call him an idiot. This is what I will say. Who they One need. thing that I've been learning over the last uh, probably year and a half is uh, it's nice to be a student again. In various aspects of, oh, of yeah. different sports, right? Uh, I'm working on finishing up uh, my rescue diver uh, certification. I went paragliding and speed flying last year, learned how to do that, got my P2 rating and my M1 rating. And we'll talk more about that for people who are hanging on. I do yeah. want to get in the speed flying gig for um, sure. And so it's, man, it's, it's interesting being a student again after being somebody in skydiving that is the one that's relaying a lot of knowledge and information mm-hmm. to be the one that is on the receiving end of that has been um i think it's awesome i think it's fantastic it's it's awesome it's 
I love being a student. I love learning new things. It's but it's intimidating in the sense that, uh, you know, I also think about the the students that I have that I've trained that don't come out the door very well, and, <laughs> you know, and and you're polite and but you help them work through that and you help them, you know. I don't want to. I also want to be a student that performs well, and so it's frustrating this this trip, especially uh, up to the bridge. I had a couple issues with flying the canopy. I actually had a couple issues where I didn't jump because my mind wasn't in it. I had a little bit of gear fear, which I hadn't had in a long, long time, right? Since probably back when I was learning how to sport skydive, where you uh, are just not confident enough in the gear yet to, to actually go do it. And so to have that experience after not having that in so many years was a mixture of like disappointment in myself, but also kind of like a good thing too, because I found myself saying like, like, oh my gosh, it's so nice to be a student again and, and to have those types of fears and insecurities that you haven't had in a while because I do have so much experience doing what I do professionally now, which is skydiving. But I don't have a lot of experience uh, doing some of these other things, which is uh, it's interesting. Sorry about that reach across. I, I'm allergic uh, to bees, and my arm is swelling because I'm Oh, you got stung? Oh, you got stung by bees? Yeah, me? dude. He, he tore me up. In my, yesterday, my arm was about twice the size of what it is. It happened Saturday, <laughs> and... Mrs. Marvin just handed a Benadryl. It's funny because she, you know, she don't want to be on camera. Our three monitors right now are lagged all perfectly after each other. Her arm goes in and out, in and out, in and out across the screen. So if you actually Ben can watch, you can catch it go from one to the next. Really, yeah, that's that's my entertainment for the night. <laughs> that's how exciting Ben is to me. I don't even know you're what not, to say You're that. not winning there, Ben. Sorry. You're not. You're not. I mean, you're not keeping I'm it. getting free beer, and he fed me some delicious meat, so... I feel like I'm winning. You, I, I would agree. That was delicious food, as always. Dude, I'm telling you, uh, I, I don't know if I told you this. I made sure Ben knew this. Uh, when Luke comes in town, I'm actually taking that day off so we can hang out and do our own things as well. That's a tri-tip night. So. Just the tri-tip. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just the so, tri-tip. Ben, I want to ask you about uh, you enjoy being a student, yeah? Yes. So I have this thing. I've, I've really wanted to get into uh, jujitsu for a long time. Yes. And I hate being the new guy. I hate feeling Man, like I'm slowing everybody down. I hate be like I hate feeling like people would have learned more or done more without me there. Yes. So, do you have anything that you use to conquer that feeling? So the only thing, the only way that I get past that feeling is two twofold. Number one is I think that that helps me relate better to the students that I do have because it's very easy for us as people with a lot of knowledge to get impatient with our students. But putting us back in the position where we are the student means that I feel like I have a better understanding now when someone's not moving as fast as I would like them to, as like someone that is my student. Um, so there's a, I feel like that's a value added thing for an instructor to, to feel again, to feel what, it, what it's like to be a student that is not picking up on the information as fast as you would like it to be. Um, but uh, repeat the question again, like the, to the full extent. Like, <laughs> yeah, just how do you have any uh, tactics that you use to get through the, the new the, guy? The phase? tactics, the tactics are just knowing that it's that's natural. You definitely, anytime you start something new. I was having this conversation with JP Fernari, name drop, uh, who's our pilot uh, at Spaceland Houston right now. Um, multiple a wind tunnel instructor for years, and he's a tandem instructor and an AFF instructor, and now he's a pilot. And he just mentioned the fact that he uh, that he just surpassed that ten thousand hour uh, barrier flight hours. Uh, and and there's a saying, you know, to become a master at anything, you need to do ten thousand hours. So 
there's a reason that I trust JP when he flies is because he's gotten to the point where he's what I would consider to be a, a master at what he does in flying. But he was talking a little bit earlier about what it was like when he only had 200 hours, right? And and so to be able to like look back on those times when you only had 200 skydives, and here's a good example that I just remembered right now. Once I started learning how to sports skydive, I got my A license, right? And from uh, A license to about maybe 180 skydives, I didn't jump with anybody else. And I didn't jump with anybody else because I was so concerned that I would screw up their skydive. I didn't want to slow them down. I didn't want to inhibit their progression. And I didn't want to be the one that screwed it up for them. Ben, we never liked you when you were new. True. We let you believe that. Okay, well, whatever. Nobody wanted to jump with you. <laughs> Don't be mean to Ben Nelson, all right? He's my friend. They also thought I was a cop when I first got there. <laughs> I remember I that. I did not think you were a cop. I thought you were Jacob. Matthew Peterson thought I was a cop, and he still insists to some of his students that I am a cop. You are a cop. You're an undercover narcotics officer. <laughs> I know I wasn't supposed to reveal that on this podcast. If you're ever at the drop zone. I am FBI. You are Johnny Utah. <laughs> Utah, give me two. <laughs> All the way back to Braden. But there was a period of time, not to change the subject, because DJ had to fucking take it down that road. But there was a period of time <laughs> when I first got my A license that I wouldn't go jump with anybody else. I'm not going to progress if I don't go jump with somebody yeah. else. And that was something that took me a while to learn. Also, what took me a while to learn was um, I don't need to be the most experienced person on the jump. I don't need to be the best person on the jump. If I'm going to progress, I need to be the worst person on the it's, jump It's half good the to time. be the second worst. <laughs> because, yeah, all right, maybe yeah. not because the, someone else gets cut. Maybe not the There's absolute worst. There's still someone else worst. making you look good. Uh, maybe but, not the absolute worst, but you... Uh, the only way you progress is by being around people that are it, better than you. And I absolutely agree with that. But just don't be the, wor the worst. Just Don't finish first. Don't finish last. You don't want to yes. be last. <laughs> you don't want to be at the either end of anything. You just don't. It, being in the middle is a good place. Uh, Nick, real quick, will you give me like half, uh, half a dash up there? Half a oh, dash? you want up? Yeah. You yeah. tell me when, baby boy. Uh, that might be, yeah, back just a hair. For all you people watching at home, I just that's spilled beer on my shirt. Yeah, that's good right there. You're welcome. Hey, I had my first uh, beer over the podcast tonight. Oh, that's right. You had a citrus IPA. Yeah. How is that? That was all right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, I'm not a big beer guy. I haven't really found a beer that it's like, yeah, maybe I you wanted, need to check your I testosterone. Want one of these. Dude, it's on my list of things to do. Yeah, you're going to check it? Yeah. So my brother called me up the other day. He's a nurse, right? Yeah. And he uh, knows that I have this interest in, in taking testosterone. I've never taken testosterone. I've never taken steroids. I've never taken anything. Uh, like, I, I'm just a food guy. Like, I try and get what I need from food. I don't do vitamins, I don't do that stuff. But I have an interest in taking testosterone just to see what it would do to my body. Like, just to see how jacked could I get. You probably you know? have hair growing on your tongue. That's fine. <laughs> I, already, I already have to shave it. It's fine. Palms but, of your uh, hands. It would feel weird when you're um, shaking, shaking other people's hands. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy I switched the camera back to you for that one tiny moment. Good job. Did you get that on video? Uh, so, yeah, watch the butter. You're going <laughs> to... Yes! <laughs> yes. <Only> that! <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll take so, it. So my brother uh, well played. has a good friend who's a doctor who owns one of these like male hormone clinics, you know? Okay. And my brother's a nurse and he might work part-time for this for this guy, so he might be the he might be my go-to <laughs> to get that testosterone. But no, I really I Shouldn't really you would, get checked before you yeah, start taking it. Yeah, that's what I want to do is get my, you know, I know how to fudge so the how test. So wait, how do they check the testosterone again? It's a blood test. Oh, I thought maybe you had to jerk off in a cup or something. No, That's your ben, sperm count. We're I'm not going to get to your <laughs> fantasy here, okay? <laughs> You're starting to go down that beat-up Ben note road. No, 
Can they give Sedan? you? Can they at least give it, you a start? Oh, okay, I won't go. <laughs> <laughs> Just a warning, man. Oh man, this whole conversation has gone in the weirdest direction. Uh, this is the Ben Nelson I expected from the beginning. This last is the time, awkward, by This the way. is the awkward boner part of this conversation. What, you just got one? <laughs> no, it's been here the whole time. <laughs> Why does your conversation? <laughs> I just didn't always, talk about it. I just talk about it. You uh, always go to awkward boner. Somebody does a tandem. Awkward boner. Ben walks in the room. Awkward boner. What is it with you and awkward boners? I, I don't know. They're awkward. Boners just are not very confident. You know, they're always second guessing <laughs> themselves. They never always really kind of worrying. Always kind of worrying. Should I really be here right now? <laughs> they're constantly posting on Facebook and making it sound like they are sad. It's weird. Uh, Kevin Craig says you need your pillow back. So, um, oh, pillow pants is my pussy troll. <laughs> but what? Quote of the day, and there it You're is. Have to explain that. Sir. Have you ever seen the movie Clerks Two? God, I don't think so. So Clerks 2, it's a Jay and Silent Bob, Kevin Smith thing. And they're working at movies, the little burger joint. <laughs> burger joint. And Jesus. this kid who works there is telling, um, I forget the other dude's name right now, about his girlfriend. And no, we haven't slept together. Why not? Because of pillow pants. What's pillow pants? Pillow pants is her pussy troll. <laughs> and apparently until she gets married, a little troll lives in her vagina, lives in her pussy. And who knows what happens after that? Does this look like the right clip here? Uh, yeah, pillow, pillow pants. pants. That yep, is exactly it, is. it, man. Okay, I'll, <laughs> Post I'm gonna that. share this so Get I can that. watch it That's later. Looks like two minute, two minutes and twenty five seconds of uh, pure gold. Oh, uh, dude, Clerks two. If you like Kevin Smith, I really enjoy Clerks two. It, it is a movie that makes me laugh my ass <laughs> off. So, <laughs> pillow pants. And our viewership is going down <laughs> rapidly. Yeah, yeah, they're they're winning everything else. So we're down to eight, <laughs> and between the five screens we have here, that means we actually have three. Oh, nine. Nope, back to eight. Never mind. I'm sure Kevin Craig really uh, regrets <laughs> saying pillow now on Facebook. Way to go, buddy. Oh, uh, priceless. So back to base jumping. Yes, back to base <laughs> jumping. Um, some of the jumps you did, uh, and I, I'm going to call all these names wrong, um, but one of them is, I think is a tard. So I didn't do a tard. What did you do? I did um, handheld. Handheld. I did uh, pilot shoot assist, and I did one or two um, stowed. Stowed, okay. Nothing rolled over? Nope. Okay. Nope, not yet. How was the handheld? When you say handheld, was that you? No, so you meant handheld pilot shoot. So you're holding your pilot shoot in your hand. Yeah. um, And you're basically jumping off the bridge in a stable position, counting to whatever delay you're going to give, which at the bridge the max is probably going to be about three. And then you're you're throwing your uh, pilot chute away from yourself, and that's what's deploying your parachute. Jason Hyder on his first uh, handheld mm-hmm. went three seconds. Awesome. You know, crazy. Did it. Yeah, no. Everybody like going for the fuck. gold. I, I give him shit. Did I he land in the water? About, no, it was about two and a half seconds, not three. Okay. I just like to give him a little grief, but dude, that's his first base handheld there. You know, he did a couple PCAs first. Mm-hmm. Um, or did he do one? I once once you get, I mean, it doesn't take very many seconds to lose some some elevation from the bridge and the longer delay you take with the slider down the harder opening you're going to have which can i mean you could throw you back out or whatever yeah and kevin i craig, say that as an older man kevin craig at least got the pussy troll joke so or yeah pillow pants so at least i'm not alone in that thank you kevin um okay so the videos you showed some of those were some of your friends maybe mm, yeah wait till your mouth so the uh, uh the tar that you saw was marta okay one of the instructors yeah yeah 
Who's amazing. Dude, Jimmy and Marta, man, again, I have never been to Apex. I've only just heard so many good things. And as long as I've been in the sport of skydiving, I've known both their names. Mm -hmm. Um, Very fortunate for them. They probably have no clue who I am, and that's perfect. They don't (laughs) need to know any of that. But their reputation. But he's a California guy, too. uh, Paris. Yeah, Paris. uh, I want to say probably even back to the Psycho Circus days. Structure Fire. Yeah. Oh, Structure Fire. Yeah, so back in the late 90s, a team called the Flyboys, which is Fritz Furner, Eli Thompson, and Mike... uh, Mike, oh God, I can't think of Mike's name right now. Um, and and then another one or two people rolled in and out of Flyboys. They were there, and Structure Fire was their intermediate team. Um, okay. Shaylin Allman, um, yeah. Jimmy, um, oh God, I can't think of the other name. And Psycho Circus went to Elsinore because they already had two teams. Ah, uh, okay, okay. And that was the time that so basically the best teams in Southern California were Flyboys. Psycho Circus and Structure Fire. And then we were like, somebody had to hold last place, and Nick said, Don't be last. We had that covered. Were you like mini Psycho Circus or something? Um, we started out as a team name called Nitwits because we want we became a team not to take ourselves serious, but we wanted to get better at skydiving. This is back in the 60s, right? Uh, this is in the 90s. 98 is when we started oh, that team. I was slightly off. Yeah, slightly off, but still 98. Some of our students might not have been born yet. Um, they uh most yeah they um that that's we, we started the team just to skydive together more you know do the same routines do the sure. same jump with the same people and we did it to get better not to take ourselves seriously nice so our team name was nitwits nobody's gonna take us seriously team name nitwits and then we competed some just at intermediate level nationals never existed in my time on a free fly team we oh that's right free fly nationals were not or nationals with free flying wasn't a thing back yeah then. it wasn't a thing yet we we didn't always it was all when did those stuff. when did that start actually happening i want to say 2000 or 2001 and that was right around spaceland anomaly time wasn't it yeah so spaceland anomaly was early like uh, i think oh one if i remember right might be 2000 was the first free fly nationals yes one of them was the guest uh what was the um test year and then and then they took it on full fledged and i can't think if oh one was test year or first year okay um anomaly i think really 2007 was one of the a big year for anomaly oh five oh four oh five is when anomaly yeah. started getting big on the scene if you get a chance all you people out there in facebookville go to youtube look up spaceline anomaly uh stevie and trent and jed and jed um man those were the types of videos that were inspiring me when i when i started sports skydiving it's amazing because people talk about like how awesome skydivers and free flyers are today, and I, I got no doubt to watch like Mr. P over here threw out a video today through Skydive Spaceland that is some awesome high level flying. Oh yeah, Live Bigs. Bigs, look it up, guys. Dude, check out Live Bigs, Mr. P. Share that. I can Live probably Bigs post video. a link to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, top shelf, top level flying, and people say, look how awesome we are, and and absolutely as a there, there's a larger good quantity of people. But when you look at, at uh, Jimmy in Structure Fire, when you look at Heath Richardson and Psycho Circus, and yep. you look at Fritz and Eli, and, and you look at even at Steve and Trent and Jed, they were flying stuff that till, still today I would consider top shelf, top level top, flying. Top shelf without wind tunnels. Without wind tunnels and just hustling their yeah. asses off. Spending man. a lot of time in the air. Man, Jen, Jen, Trent and Jed and Steven, man, they hustled so many loads. They worked yeah. their butt off. And if you actually look deep enough, you can find old anomaly videos when they didn't have matching jumpsuits, when yeah. they're still putting the pieces together. And they were still, still doing it. Sloppy is, I would never say the right word for those boys, but sloppy compared to when they refined their well, what I will Well, what I will say about them is uh, I'm like what Nick was saying before, you know, there's a point when you're a, a student where. They probably weren't. Uh, they obviously didn't start that way. 
No, right? Not at all. <laughs> they put in the time and effort that they needed to get to where they needed to be in order to to progress. And so, uh, part of that aspect of accepting the fact that you, when you move into something different, that you're a student, that yeah. you're that you that you have to accept that fact, that mantle of student upon your title, in order to progress. And that's exactly what they did. They got into skydiving, and uh, they were students of skydiving, and they progressed to the point where they need they got done what they needed to get done. It's uh, Nick, it kind of goes back to your question earlier. Being the noob is hard for you. Being the new guy in, in a process is sometimes intimidating or daunting for people. And I feed off of that. The other day, we were about to do a skydive together, and I told you I was a little bit juiced. Maybe it's because I had a bad feeling about this one. I'm not sure. Maybe it was and the fact that he correct had, you were. Maybe it was the fact that he had just literally been stung by a bee and was kind of wheezy. Dude, you I better can't believe it. Stop! I I can't stop itching Un- my arm right now. Dude. Believable? She. What? What's all the <laughs> buzz about over there, Ben? <laughs> dude, I sorry if you I notice. Nothing. I can't stop trying to come up with something either. for honey, but I have nothing. Oh, um, oh, honey, honey, oh dear, oh. I you, told, you doing okay over there? Yeah, I am, man. I told you uh, being a little jacked up, being a little bit juiced is something I enjoy. I enjoy those nerves. And you say dealing with being a new guy, I actually like that. One of the things. Yeah, I'm, it didn't uh, sting your ego? It didn't sting my ego. At all, <laughs> it's just man. another bee pun, man. I'm sorry. Oh, man. You're being real punny. Hey-o. Oh, no. Um, I hate both of you so much right now. <laughs> Okay, it's all right, man. You'll like us later on. <laughs> um, that 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 energy, that juice, that adrenaline—that's kind of what we live for to a point. Part of skydiving is chasing some of that first fix, and part of it is chasing the mastery of the whole process. And when you get that taste of that first fix, I don't like that like nervous, over the edge, like oh my god, oh my god, almost paranoid sense. But when I get it, I like recognizing I have it. I recognize my thought processes. I recognize my breathing patterns and the self-awareness it drives me towards. I think something we've talked about a lot and something that you mentioned is in your base jumping trip, being a good canopy pilot, and I will say the word, an expert canopy pilot, being a guy who has an expert understanding of parachutes in general, give you a certain level of competency that allows you to do what you do, but I also think it, it gives you that extra level of self-awareness because you do understand at a high level this information. So now you can watch and cre- you know what's good. You know what's bad. You think, know when you're being pandered I think to. maybe at the end of the day what it does most for me is it gives me a better understanding of what I need to work on. Mm-hmm. But going in, uh, considering myself to be an expert canopy pilot, which I, I feel confident enough saying, um, doesn't necessarily mean that all of my landings were amazing. Or my accuracy was amazing. It was a different experience. You know, it's a lot like um, when uh, Ryan Risberg and I went and learned how to paraglide and speed fly. Uh, we, we did that together. We tried to approach that situation. Such say, a cute couple. Yeah. <laughs> well, he is. Uh, he does let me be the big spoon every now and then, which is weird because I'm just basically covering <laughs> his head from behind. Um, but it was the uh, understanding when we went into that training saying, look, we need to approach this as that the pretend we don't have any experience with canopies because we're going to get something different out of this than we would going into it kind of boosting ourselves up and saying, oh, this isn't a big deal. We fly canopies all the time. I learned more about canopy flight. I thought I was going to bring more to the table in speed flying and paragliding because of the amount of skydiving canopy flight I had. But what I got out of it was 
what I learned there actually contributed more to my skydiving canopy flight than 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 the opposite of that. So I don't and I don't think I would have gotten that if I didn't approach this situation as a like telling myself I'm a student and I'm trying to learn. I don't think and don't get me wrong, I don't think it contributed to necessarily that attitude. It's not contributing to the idea of I know what I'm talking about, I know what I'm thinking about. It contributes to the attitude of what you just described. Yes. I'm such at an expert level that I've seen people come up in my sport. I've seen people do what I do. And for example, people in skydiving go into the wind tunnel and think they're going to crush it and they crush the wall and it's pretty funny sometimes. And then people from the wind tunnel come out into skydiving and think they're going to crush it and they crush the ground with a canopy. Uh, yeah. And that's not as funny because it, it does hurt a little bit as well. But you all you have that extra level of self awareness of what you don't know what you don't know. Correct. So I think that's the advantage. So not that the goes, skill set or the attitude of I know what I'm doing. That goes back to that level of competency that we're talking about. You know, when you move from uh, a sport where you are um, conscious competent into a sport where there's some there's some bleed over. There's a little bit of stuff in this sport that you learned in this sport that kind of helps. But I'm at a you know, conscious incompetent phase over here that I wasn't over here. It's trying to accept that fact. Just because you're good at skydiving and flying flying parachutes doesn't mean you are automatically going to know everything about a paragliding or doesn't mean I'm going to know everything about base jumping and vice versa. And the example you used to, you know, being a very good tunnel flyer doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a great skydiver initially. And being a great skydiver doesn't mean you're going to be safe in the wind tunnel initially. There's stuff that bleeds over and there's stuff that, that uh, crosses over between the two. But recognizing what level of competency you're at in each one of those things will help you make a better risk assessment while you're trying to be safe in those sports to a point where you're able to actually go do that activity and reasonably expect that you're not going to get injured or killed, if that makes sense. Man. Yeah, no, it does. It's, it's, uh... I get two different Ben Nelsons when you show up. <laughs> the... Funny, fun-loving, dick out of my pants. You can ben even Nelson. hear his voice change when he and the, <laughs> the serious sage, dick out of my pants, Ben Nelson. The sage information. No, the things you're saying though, and and you know a lot of what we're trying to do with this podcast is a hey, just hang out and have a good time. Put your dick back in your pants. Um, Damn it. And now you know you don't want to tune into Facebook if you just watch where's this. Where's my Where's my cock pillow? Um, but we really want to talk about some of these ideas and how to be a better student in the sport of skydiving for our skydiving friends. But I think a lot of the things that you talk about are better students in life in general. Nick, you are Eskimo kissing that mic oh, again. Oh, I was. Uh, I was. <laughs> I've been watching. <laughs> you buddy. did. You did catch me. I was making a little bit of nose love to the uh, pop filter over here. <laughs> he was he rubbing it. Uh, yeah, it's. I think it's something that happens when I start to concentrate now. It feels so good. If, is anyone seeing this on Facebook Live? I don't know if anyone's watching this, but this is by far. <laughs> hey, we got six people. So last week, uh, you don't trust those numbers because uh, the numbers, A, we, we've seen one person live on the counter and have three people commenting. Weird. Um, and yeah, it's 14. It, it bounces up and down a lot. Um, last week, we found out that Nick likes to make Eskimo love to that pot filter with his nose. Only when he wants to say things. And I'm actually curious to know mean, what you were going to add to the conversation. Yeah, I don't remember anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Two types of Ben Nelson. Both oh, have no, their dicks out. I didn't out. say that. Nope. I said that. That was that was my both, point. Both have their dicks out. No, yeah. No, put your goddamn cock away, Ben. Where's my cock pillow? <laughs> and I, I wish people would take what you say to heart. What you what you're saying because 
it's you're going to learn so much more, so much better with these mentalities. You're not just a student in in base jumping right now. You not just went through a, a trip there, but we we said we're going to talk about some of your other little journeys. You also recently started paragliding and speed flying, which first of all, a lot of our skydiving friends aren't even 100% sure what the definition of either one of those are. Okay. Uh, so yeah, about a year, actually it was almost a year to the day, um, that I was in Utah and Idaho for this trip. I was in Utah last year with Ryan Risberg. Oh, there's my cock pillow. Thank you. I'm going to put my hands just like this. Um, learning how to, uh, first of all, learning how to paraglide. And then at the end of our trip, we also learned how to, um, to, to utilize, uh, the smaller canopies for speed flying. <laughs> well, that's disgusting. Thank you, cock pillow. God bless you, cock pillow. Uh, sorry, I couldn't help myself. Mine was uh, long and white. So where you, were we? You guys were learning to decide to go speed fly, Ryan. And so yeah, yeah, and uh, when we we had the discussion before we went, you know, where do we want to go? What do we want to do? We decided to go with a, a company called Cloud Nine. Uh, Steve Mayer, uh, shout out to Steve Mayer, uh, owns a company called Cloud Nine in Salt Lake. Uh, there's a place called Point, in the Mo- Point of the Mountain in Salt Lake, which is one of the best places to kind of go learn mm-hmm. um, because of the conditions, weather conditions and whatnot. And so we just went and did it. I'd always wanted to try it. It seemed like a fun thing to do. Uh, you see a lot of awesome videos of people speed flying um, and, and some pretty cool videos of people paragliding. And, and so we went and um, we, we had a great time. I, we were probably the most – there was a couple other people that had some skydiving experience, I think, in the course one or two. We definitely had the most experience. Um, How many people were in that course? Uh, I mean, throughout the period of the course, there were some people that had started the course and the weather was bad, so they weren't able to do some of the uh, you know, the outdoor stuff, and there were some people that needed to sit through. All total, there was probably like maybe 10 people over the period of – the week that I was there, 10 days that I was there doing this course. Um, and we, we kind of approached it from that mindset of we're here to be students. We're not here to, to try and let people know how much experience we have as skydiving and skydiving flying canopies, because this, this is a different activity than skydiving. And I honestly felt like we were going to be a little bit better than most, which I think we kind of were in this, in certain senses. But like I said, I walked away learning things about canopy flight in general. When I mm-hmm. say canopy flight, I'm not just talking about parachutes. I'm talking about speed wings, paragliders, parachutes, uh, base rigs. I kind of put in a separate category as so. well. But it's flying fabric. Yeah. It's the best way to describe it. Flying semi-rigid wings. Semi-rigid wings. Uh, and you walk away from that, um, taking the knowledge that you had in skydiving and translating what you can over to uh, base, uh, excuse me, speed flying and paragliding. But we took a lot of stuff from speed flying and paragliding that translated so well into skydiving that it actually in some cases changes changed the way that I flew my my uh the the canopies that I fly uh in skydiving. So I want to uh just break real quick to to talk about some of the things you just said because back to not a real know the difference and you're you're gonna have to help me with some of this, but I'll I'll lay down some information for people to compare the ones. Sure. For those of us who have skydiving friends, our parachutes are very commonly nine cell or nine chambered. Usually. And a common nine cell has somewhere about a two and a half to one aspect ratio. Mm-hmm. So it's two point five to two point six to two point seven times the width it is the depth. Mm-hmm. A lot of paragliding wings are somewhere around 9 to 10 to 1 in that range, plus or minus. Plus or minus. 
Um, what were you flying? Like, A, how many cells would you say it had? If you could, would Ooh, you even know? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, lots. Lots. And um, do you know the aspect ratio of the wing you were flying? So the, th- the best part about the course was over the period of 10 days, we got to fly a number of different wings, okay. sizes, shapes, types. Nice. Um, which meant that... I couldn't give you a specific because we had so many different... You every, every day we're trying different things just to see what worked best for us. But I can give you some examples, uh, speed, speed wings especially. Um, I currently own a, a Loki, which is made by Fluid Wings. Uh, it's 14 meter, which roughly translates to about 150 square feet, so about 150 square foot canopy. Okay. Uh, some of the major differences that you're going to see with paragliders and speed wings is uh, your center of gravity is going to be slightly different because the the harness point for skydiving is at your shoulders, yeah. right? And the harness point for speed wing or paraglider is basically at your hips. Um, so there's a, a change in level, uh, change in, in, uh, in area of gravity. There's also a trim difference in the, uh, in the lines of the how high the nose is to the tail, the correct, angle. Correct. And there's also a difference between how far back the front lines, the A lines, are from the nose compared to a, a, a parachute. Parachutes tend to have the lines almost straight back from the nose. Paragliders and speed wings tend to curve back around so that the A lines are slightly offset from the nose, which helps change the trim a little bit, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. And then on some speed wings, you can actually change the trim on the uh, risers, there's like a little trim bar that you can grab. You pull down on them, it locks it, and you can release them by pressing down on the lock. So you'll launch in full speed, what we would call full speed or full flight, and then you can pull down on the trim to give you more lift and help you soar, maybe bridge soar. If the flattens are, out your angle. flattens out your angle, yeah. Um, and then the same thing with paragliders, only they're a lot bigger, which means um, a couple things you have to think about um, differently when you're flying uh, paragliders and speed wings that you don't have to think about when you're skydiving is I now have to think about what's going on above me because you hit a thermal, you hit a different type of wind. If I'm cutting across a, a, a ridge and someone's coming back at me and they're above me, I'm not, it's not really the low man has the right of way anymore. It's um, you have to watch out for what's going on around you because you you really have to start thinking three dimensionally, like a, almost like an airplane pilot. Mm-hmm. What's going on above me, which is not something we typically do in skydiving. We usually we're looking at what's going on at this plane and below, in and around and behind us, and trying to be aware of above us. But to most mo- people aren't trying to. But we're trying mm-hmm. to only because we're concerned about what's going to come down on top of us, not what we're going to do by going Nicks. up. Yes, it's raining nicks. And so there's like a lot of different things like that that you really have to learn and uh, and become aware of and. Um, it's super fun, man. It's really, really fun. I'm not going to lie. It's almost like being a, uh, an airplane pilot, less like being a canopy pilot, more like being an airplane pilot. I, I really, I, I'm a man who doesn't live by a lot of regrets. I'm a big fan of I am who I am today. I appreciate what I have, etc. But I lived oh, a couple blocks from a pretty well-known glider port in Torrey Pines, California. Oh, man, I in beautiful. UPC. Yeah. yeah. I was a couple blocks from there. Oh, man. My skydiving parachute rigger paraglided out there and flew out there. And I actually went out there and visited him, watched him fly. Um, and I just passed up the opportunity. At that point, I was a lot younger. I was very focused on the adrenaline free fall portion of skydiving. I enjoyed canopy flight. Um, I enjoyed, I was already into swooping. So I really looked at these wings and just thought, man, they look slow and boring. Mm. 
And I just, I, I was too tunnel visioned. I was just too aggressive at the time and just really didn't have an open mind. And I wish I would have taken that opportunity because now um, I wish I would have. Again, in hindsight, I'll probably enjoy the opportunity to take even that much more. And as you know, you've actually driven me and pushed me because I want to go take that exact same trip, oh, man, that same place. So uh, I want to take Ryan Rinsberg it's, it's and an eye opener, man. sleep on his cock pillow. Yes, you want to sleep on Ryan Rinsberg's cock pillow. <laughs> Or just his pillow. Um, you when you were there, you stayed with a buddy, Nick, Nick Kaminsky. Yes. Did he have anything to do with the trip, or was just a buddy to crash with? Uh, actually, I met him through Ryan. Okay. Who is uh, was more of a buddy than him at the time. Him and his uh, wife Shonda Smith. I know Shonda. Um, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic people. Uh, they live right at Point of the Mountain. Their house is like from the South Hill Point of the Mountain. Their house is probably a minute drive. By car. I mean, you can look out their porch and see people flying around the, the mountain. Oh, my God. It's uh, it's a pretty sweet, sweet place. And they're the nicest people in the whole wide world. Nick, of course, uh, Cookie USA. Yes. Um, and so he, he uh, travels a lot and does a lot of stuff uh, promoting for Cookie. Uh, but um, super knowledgeable, super knowledgeable. Very knowledgeable in, in swooping, very knowledgeable in skydiving. He also speed flies, paraglides, base jumps. I mean, he does he does the gambit because when you live in Salt Lake, why not? Why wouldn't you want to do all that? I couldn't blame him, man. I, I met Shonda, I think, the first time in 2009. Uh, mm-hmm. She worked for USPA and got to know her over yeah, the years. Yeah, she did work for USPA, yes. Yeah, and then uh, eventually went out to Arizona. And mm-hmm. I actually, I only know of Nick Kaminsky because of my relationship with being friends with Cookie and whatnot. Um, and then I knew him because of you. Yeah. And I got to recently meet him and hang out with him. And God dang, oh, man. dude. Super cool. And I don't know if I told you, but I, I he was supposed to, I was supposed to say hi to you from Nick when I oh, saw him. Oh, awesome. Yes. Yeah. Nice. But you've probably seen him again I've since. I've seen him since, yeah. since you saw him, so... Yeah. Uh, you may have even mentioned this, but I, I didn't hear it. Was there a name for the the school that you went Cl- to for Paraglide? Paraglide. Cloud Nine. Cloud Nine That's is right. the name of the school. Did, did you meet Mike Steen? I think he's part of Cloud Nine. I don't remember that name. Okay. I, I will say, uh, let me throw some names out. Jason White um, and uh, Billy Purden and Steve Mayer were the guys that I dealt with at Cloud Nine. All very, very experienced paragliders. Uh, Jason White's actually a commercial pilot. Um, Billy's been a paragliding instructor for a long, long time, and Steve owns the the operation Cloud9. Um, man, excellent, excellent training, man, and they are so um, they're so willing to take the time to explain the whys. Just like I said before, you know, anytime I get training, if I'm getting training from someone that's not willing to explain the whys to me, it doesn't feel like very good training. And they and Cloud9 does an excellent job of explaining the whys. There's and there's also a reasonable chance if they can't explain why they don't know what they're teaching you that well. Correct. I uh, in skydiving I call it the Mr. Miyagi model. Mr. Miyagi taught me wax on, wax off. Why am I waxing your car, old man? Shut up and wax my car. Yeah. If Mr. Miyagi could tell Daniel why he was waxing the car, why he was doing what he was doing, Daniel's son would have been more focused on the way he was practicing. And so I don't think it's you know it's not just true of you and not just true of that. If you're working with a coach in anything, any sport, skydiving, softball, golf, and they can't tell you the whys, especially when you ask or they're not willing to, I commonly wonder if they're a competent coach or yeah, not. Correct. Um, Nick, if anybody's listening to this, just shared uh, Cloud9 uh, on their Facebook page. Um, Nick, if you don't mind, do, uh, do they have a website, do you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, paragliders.com. Um, Nick, check that out, and I, I do want to give a shout out to them just because I've heard so many great things about it. And I mean, if you're if you're giving Abs- them kudos, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I definitely want to paragliders.com. That yep. is absolutely it. 
Um, so check and it out. Own, I think uh, I think the name of the store is like Adventure Toys or something like that. I mean, you go there and it's like it's a kid in a candy store and you walk into that place because they've got powered mountain bikes and they've got powered paragliders and they've got skateboards and they've I mean they just have everything adventure related that you could possibly want all Will's going to go broke in there probably Will's yes. going to Will's going to Don't die. let Will go in there because he will buy everything Dude yeah he's But oh. they're they're fantastic they uh, the the courses they give are fantastic in fact I saw them out there at Point of the Mountain when I was coming back from this trip, I got to spend a day up there, a morning up there with Risberg and Shonda. And Did you fly while you were out there? Yeah, we got to fly. It was really fun, really fun. And so I got to see those guys out there. Uh, Steve was doing some tandems, and uh, and Jason was doing some training. Billy was doing some training with students. So it's a good time. I really enjoyed it. So your first paraglider flight, you, you did paragliding, then speed flying? Yeah, so we started with paragliding and then worked our way into speed, speed flying, yeah. You take a first flight course, so to speak? Sure. Um, how long did that last? Um, uh, typically, just like in skydiving, I think we did a day, day and a half on the ground. And then the way it worked out in, in uh, Utah is really good because um, you go out to, there's two hills at Point of the Mountain. There's the South Hill and the North Hill. And typically speaking, the way the weather works, in the morning, the winds are coming from the south, which, which means you can go to the South Hill. And then in the evenings, they're typically coming from the north, which means you go to the North Hill. But in that in-between time, between about... 10 30 11 o'clock in the morning until about five o'clock six o'clock in the evening there's really not good winds to fly in either location so we would go out in the morning after we did our day day and a half at ground course and we would go out in the mornings and we would do practice flights and we would do uh kind of little ridge soaring type activities top landings and things like that and then by 10 o'clock in the morning 10:30, the weather starts getting windy enough or choppy enough that we're not going to continue to fly because it's no longer safe We'd go grab breakfast, and then we'd go back to uh, Cloud 9 and do some classroom stuff. And then we'd break, uh, give people a chance to take a nap or whatever, and then we'd meet at uh, at the North Hill uh, in the evenings. That sounds like a morning. dope day. Yeah, dude, it was really awesome. Nick, do you know how to paraglide? No, I never learned that. You want to learn to paraglide? I know how to live in Utah for 25 years and not learn how to paraglide. Dude, uh, <laughs> the the more you talk about this, it's a goal. It's a dream of mine. I definitely want to make it a trip. Jason Hyder and I keep talking. We need to do a vacation again together sometime. I, I will say this, man. That might be it. <clears throat> so I've said this in the past. I've sat through your um, canopy course how many times now? Uh, too many. Six, and, seven and, times and, maybe? And maybe not the full course, but I sit through chunks of, of the course. But I took the full course back when I had, I don't know, like 50... 100 skydives maybe and then since then maybe at like a thousand 2500 like i've sat through just portions of it and every time i get something new out of the out of that even the basic canopy course this i'm not even talking about advanced swooping or anything like that going into cloud nine's training with the uh, sitting through your canopy course the amount of times that i did and the little things that i picked up it's almost like the stuff that you said finally, like not all of it made sense to me initially, sure. but when it put it in context of paragliders, it all finally like the, the what's the word? The, uh, the, the, Coalesced? no, what's it called when they say the, uh, the, uh, the chickens came home, the chickens came, came home to, roost. to roost. That's kind of what it, kind of what it felt like. Like I had a good understanding and I knew that it was translating into skydiving, but it really translated into paragliding. And I didn't get that until finally I was sitting there in the course and they said something that I said, oh my gosh, DJ said that to me like two <laughs> years ago and I finally understand what he was talking about. I'm glad not, you do. Not, I not that you didn't know what you were, how to explain it, 
But when you have 50 skydives, things mean something differently than they do when you have 2,000 skydives. Absolutely. I uh, First of all, any course I, I teach, I try to wordsmith smart. I try to wordsmith wisely that I can say something that will have a meaning to anybody listening to it. You can mm-hmm. take your own gym away. But I'm really interested in paragliding. A, dude, it just looks fucking awesome. But B, I hear these things, and I have a pretty solid understanding of wings, not just in, in skydiving, but in general aerodynamic and fluid mechanics and those principles. Sure. I think I could teach parachutes so much better. By going to take a paragliding I think, course, I think you're I really absolutely do, correct man. on that. Yeah, and and I mean, it would. I've taken <clears throat> three basic canopy courses since I started teaching basic canopy courses, and every single one of them has upped my game. Not always with knowledge, but a lot of times with delivery. Some of them, it's been no knowledge increase; it's been pure delivery. Like I like the way you explain that. I like the way you say that. I like the way you're you're bringing these things together. Almost all, all but one of them has been really a straight up knowledge increase. Mm. So those those have been very helpful. Uh, again, it's so focused on enduring, and I, that's one of the things I think paragliding allows me. Or, or and I don't know you you you've got to describe this, but the way or you got to confirm this the way I see it is it's almost like tunnel flying skydiving. I have sixty seconds to figure out, and I'm done. In the tunnel, I can sit there for two minutes at a time and get rapid repetitions. And with my parachute, I have a very very limited flight time. Um, but with a paraglider, I have a lot larger window of flying time, which allows me to process correct. and learn more. Yes, you're, you're absolutely correct when you say that. Just to put it into uh, terms that some people can understand a little bit better, especially skydivers. I know for you non-skydivers, this probably won't make a ton of sense. A 14-meter wing or 16-meter wing is floating somewhere around 150 square feet to about 180 square feet. Um, and... To just to give you a glimpse of like what kind of flying you can do on even something that small, if you have the right wind conditions and the right uh, location, like a ridge ridge soaring with perfect winds, the last flight I did on my fourteen meter was about an hour and ten minutes. Dude, on a hundred, it's basically a hundred and fifty square foot canopy. Mm-hmm. So it's like a let's just say a stiletto one fifty, like for people to use as an example. Sure, size wise, that's what we're talking about. But I flew it without touching the ground for about an hour and 10 minutes. And they make those harnesses so much more comfortable because we're only designed to be in ours for five-minute canopy it's like, flights. It's like sitting in a, in, a, uh, in a Lazy Boy, which actually is funny because uh, when I was sitting there going through the training, I thought to myself, you know what? It would be really, really interesting to see what it would be like to have a harness like this with a skydiving parachute on it. Now, of course, UPT has been showing videos of some of the stuff they've been doing with the Mutant. Yep. Um, and it, it makes absolutely total sense to me yeah. that they're doing that. They're not. They're the only manufacturer advertising it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know enough manufacturers and friends who are working on that project. Um, Vince took it to UPT, and UPT went first once to get a hold of it. But but um, I I think I feel comfortable saying that uh, Fluid Wings Correct. Scott Roberts yep. has uh, spoken with Kelly Farrington Infinity Rigs on multiple occasions ab- yeah. about this project. And, and they're looking so at maybe a, like a universal adapter type thing that would fit with most rigs that would do kind of the same thing. Dude, it, it would, would be, be very, so awesome. It would be very purpose in my from my opinion. I think it would be very purpose driven. Like um, uh, the way the only way I can describe it is saying like on a, on my when I jumped that 67 Valkyrie, that period of time I was jumping it, I wasn't jumping that in free fall. It was very much like, I'm going to use this to go fly hop and pops or high pulls. It's very specific for this activity for me. Uh, I'm not going to use it for to be in the base of a big way because it's not the right tool for the right job. Sure. 
and it seems like um, that's what Fluid Wings is kind of moving towards in regards to that aspect, saying that it's very specific for this type of thing, and maybe even the uh, the the mutant. It's kind of the same way. They don't expect you to go out and free fly with it and then deploy. I think Not that they're you can't. actually looking at making the mutant a free fall friendly rig. They're making. Sure. They're looking at this becoming the evolution potentially of harnessing. The harness Hopefully. Scott, I mean. But there's a period of time, I'm sure, where they're looking at it going, well, this is pretty specific for some of the stuff that we're doing, and hopefully it can be adapted down the line. But yeah. uh, it's interesting. It's an interesting concept, and I remember sitting there going, man, I would love to change the air, that uh, that center of gravity from my shoulders to my hips just to see what my Valkyrie would do. And now we're able to kind of get a glimpse of what's what's happening. Dude, look at some of the video that UPT's put out. Amazing. The, yeah, dude. That's... And you'll notice the 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 swooping that they're doing. You know, we've been used to leaning forward, like really trying to get that extra push, and yeah. now everyone's leaning backwards just like you do in speed flying. Which is ultimately going to be safer because some of the weight we throw forward, you know, you see a lot of these guys getting super flat and laying out, and as far forward as we get out of our harness, A, people have actually fallen out doing so. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, belly bands work, but leaving that chest strap extra long and secure is going to help for that from falling out. Just just my two cents. Um, leaning back's a lot safer through that aspect. But also, if I plow in leaning back, I'm sliding into home base. If yeah. I plow in facing forward... You're falling on your face? Ooh, man, people have actually bellied in and done what's called a Superman had so much momentum and speed that it's carried them over their top and broken their necks. Yeah, scorpion. Here in here in Houston, we have a friend of, of a lot of our old school jumpers who unfortunately that happened to a man, and he's got a lot of support and love, but man, he'd still have a lot of support and love if he was still hanging out with us otherwise. And, and they would tell you, it, I think that mutant rig is going to be much, much safer. Yeah. So uh, I saw Frank Chance ask the question, he's seen tandem paragliding, but he's never seen tandem speed flying. Is that a thing? The answer is I've never seen that. And uh, I think the reason behind that is... Um, there is can, tandem base jumping. <laughs> there is tandem base jumping, believe it or not. Uh, wow, and that looks pretty amazing, by the way. But, yes. Um, so you're talking about wing loading on a, on a size canopy that... Um, speed flying, you're flying pretty close to the ground for the most part. Um adding that much wing loading to such a small canopy changes the flight characteristics and to be completely honest i don't i don't foresee tandem speed flying ever becoming a thing Um, but would you have ever foreseen tandem base jumping uh no no so i mean there's a that's a good point uh but as of right now no the answer is no there's no tandem speed flying that i've seen that i've seen maybe there is um but tandem paragliding is super common just it's just like tandem skydiving though the the paraglider is way larger than what you would normally fly by yourself just because uh, a wing loading issue but um, yeah hope that answers that question dude Tory Pines was... again I'm not the expert so I'm not going to say that it doesn't exist I just don't I've never seen it Frank too much harness input maybe I don't know what that question is about Frank if you can reference too much harness input to the Tandem speed flying. So, so just to give you an in, uh, uh, just to give you an insight on what he well when he says uh, harness input, so you have the articulation at your hips, which means that the wing itself is very susceptible to harness input. In fact, when you're making turns, you're turning over your. These were my these were my uh, uh, risers. You're leaning out over those risers when you make those turns. 
which helps you make those turns. Also, you've got to literally this, think about rolling your hips. Rolling your hips. That exactly is the correct. largest amount of in fact when you, you can do ever it. Get. When you when you're learning how to do it, they make you actually put one leg over the top and do one of these numbers when you're turning that way and doing it in the opposite direction, um, which is kind of awkward when you're learning how to do it. The other thing you have to like remember too out. with uh, both paragliders and speed wings, speed wings more so because they're more susceptible to this is you've, they've got a different trim. The center of gravity is at your hips instead of your shoulders. You're susceptible to two types of stalls. I say stalls, a traditional stall that you would say for a skydiving rig, which is you pull back on your, on your brake toggles and it goes back until it stalls. Also, it's a constant battle to keep it above your head because the canopy is doing this. Skydiving canopies don't typically want to, I mean, they're, they're going forward, so but you're going you're, forward with them. If you're just listening to this, sorry, when he says just this, he's moving his hands back and forth over the top of his yes. head, and basically they're oscillating, swinging in all directions. Correct, sorry. in all directions. And so one of the things as skydivers we don't typically have to worry about is our nose collapsing on us because you have the ram air coming in the front, the lines go straight to the tip of the, the, the top of the nose, and they're trimmed in a way that you're constantly coming down uh, towards the ground. But you can, with these, with these wings, you're typically flying with about five pounds of pressure on your toggles at all time. Because if you do full flight with the tailwind, it's susceptible for that nose to move so far forward that it'll catch wind and collapse. So it's a constant battle to keep the wing over your head at all given times. Uh, and so paragliders obviously are the same way, but they're a lot more stable than speed wings. Speed wings are so much smaller and so much higher wing loaded that it, there's a lot of movement that you really have to adjust for. So I want to come back. Hold on one second, because yep. Cody Edgeworth just asked a really pertinent question, and you kind of answered it already. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure they're they're connected. He says, "Why do speed flyers always uh, fly only toggles?" And first of all, back to people who don't understand, if you're ever watching somebody fly a parachute, just the yellow loops, the yellow control lines that control the tail or the back of the parachute are toggles. Our black straps going up to our parachute are risers, and we can pull on all of the above to fly our parachutes. Correct. And so can other wing pilots. Mm -hmm. But Cody asks, why do people only when use toggles? When you're first learning how to fly uh, paragliders and speed flyers, speed flying uh, canopies, they, if you touch your rear, so this was hard for me because I typically go straight to my rear risers every time because that's how I fly my parachute. Yeah. Uh, in fact, in some cases, uh, the, the the Valkyries that I fly, I won't, after I unstow my, my brake toggles, I won't actually apply any toggle pressure until I'm coming into land. I will literally fly the entire time using my uh, harness input or using a uh, riser input. Um, typically speaking, if you launch off the hill and grab your rear risers, it's a lot like skydiving when you have a radio on your chest and your instructor's talking to you on the ground. They'll say, take your hands off those risers, release the risers, release the risers. They don't want you playing around with those risers right now. Not to say that you're not going to use them farther down the line, but as a novice, as a new person, um, it's way more susceptible to stalling than uh, a parachute is. It's a lot more sensitive. So you, you do fly a lot of toggles. But to answer that question, you're flying toggles mainly because you want that five pounds of pressure on at all times. Because if you're, like I said, if you're flying, flying full flight with a little bit of a tailwind, it, these things want to surge and they want to fly. And when they get too far forward, you can get a nose collapse, which doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to reinflate. But when you're speed flying, you're so close to the ground, you may not, it may not have time to reinflate before you hit the ground. Paragliders are a little bit more forgiving when you're at higher altitudes because if you do get a nose collapse, uh, you'll start to descend, and then all of a sudden you'll get air going back into the cells of the of the canopy, and it'll reinflate, and now you just have to continue to fly it. But um, typically speaking, you will see speed flyers 
playing with their toggles, those are people that are super advanced, almost like with the in skydiving where we don't typically teach students to do a lot of flying with their with their risers. Not to say that we don't want them to experiment a little bit with it, but they're not typically coming in their first few hundred skydives on their risers. They're usually coming in on their toggles. And as they get more experience, they're able to and get different types of wings above their head. They're able to play around more with those risers. Are they... So it's more sensitive to the stall, but you, you see a lot of this really radical flying that they're doing. You see a lot of yeah. massive toggle input. Is it also more receptive to toggle input? Is it perform better with toggle input? Um, I would say it performs as you would think it would perform based on the, the trim and based on the uh, uh, where the center of gravity mm. is. Um, it's just as susceptible to toggle input as a parachute. Okay, and yeah, it does. It does uh, to within reason because back to some people do have an understanding or appreciation. Yeah, and some of our listeners are just new enough to the sport that they still don't quite appreciate or understand. Yeah, um, I, I've even watched instructors answer questions about canopy flight, and I'm thinking, oh, how cute that you thought that that was the answer. Um, and it's it's always a really good idea. Chris Fudala is really good at waiting till I walk by and going, hey, we've been saving a question for you about canopy fly. I'm like, great, dude, I'm on my lunch break. I'm kidding, Chris. Um, I, I don't mind at all that they asked to share knowledge with students. I just like to give Chris a little shit. Yeah. Um, as we all should. As we all should. As long as the attention comes off Ben Nelson, we're safe, right? So um, you're looking over your shoulder again. I am. I saw that Royce Wilson just just joined. What's up, Royce? He was, I miss your body. He, you missed him. He was here for a little bit. I know. I, actually, you want to know the truth? One of the most difficult parts about going on this trip was the fact that I, I, I couldn't get a time to go that wasn't during Live Bigs. And I, Donna, I'm so sorry that I wasn't able to come. I really wanted to come to be live, live Bigs really badly. but You wanted to come. I had, a, I had to make a decision, and I, I decided on doing the base jumping. Not next time, though. Please invite me again. I also think your vacation. You you needed a vacation I definitely away from needed, the DZ. I definitely needed some time away from the DZ. That's true. So you've got and, and some time away from Nick Lot. Nick Lot. Whatever. Wait. You guys hearing me? Yeah. No, you were yeah, fine. Sorry, there I, was I, nothing I wrong I, with that. I had muted my microphone a while back. Hey, uh, we're good buddies. You didn't. You didn't. You you missed me while you were gone. Ben yes. sent me videos of him base jumping while he was out there. Don't yes. feel special. Uh, don't tell him about the other pictures and videos I sent. He no, also you sent me sent those me too. Pictures of his uh, mom. That's my mom. She's a lady. That's, that's not true. She's uh, a beautiful. <laughs> I mean, lady. wait a minute. She's that's a fine. pretty lady. Don't don't mock mom. Mom. No, I'm trying not to, to uh, walk down that being mean to Ben Nelson road. It's too late. As tempting as it is. If you're not being mean to Ben Nelson, this would be the first podcast ever that we have not mentioned being mean to Ben Nelson. Well, I'm trying. You're trying. Why don't you just give in to the hate? Release your anger. No. You're just so... I love you. Turn to the dark side. I love your beard. I love your little smile. Nick didn't even want to talk to this you is, right now. This He's is rubbing his nose on the pop filter right now. That was two the whole months. Goal. By the way, this beard is two months of growth. I'm going a full year. I got another 10 months in front of me. Uh, man, you think you're going to make it? I have to now because I got a little bit tan while I was gone, and so if I shave this beard, I'm going to have white. You're going to have a white beard. Yes. What, what's I'm the longest you've gone without trimming your beard? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Four or five months. Because I think I've hit that like five-month mark before. Like just You're hitting full mountain man status. Yeah, you pass up homeless. You pass are, up lumberjack. Yeah, you are, move you gonna, are you going to... Are you going to maintain... Is that, that like, what are you guys Are you going to trim me? the mustache? No, I mean, or I, are you going to... Like you get these hairs that stick out weird. I, I can 
kind of trimming. So we're doing it some grooming, bit. okay? Yeah, but I mean, I'm we're not bringing in with style. Nah, I'm not letting it just go full homeless. Hey, that's how I grow. I'm not letting it go full Al Qaeda. Uh, DJ, uh, yeah, great, thanks, man. I, I, uh, when we went to New Zealand, Valerie and I were coming back for we went uh, there for our honeymoon, and I got pulled over at the gate uh, by security. So of course, other countries don't have the TSA and don't have the same. Uh, issues we have with with uh, security. So if you're going to America from a foreign country, you have to go through TSA equivalents at your gate at your American flight. Ah, uh, yeah. So the dude's like letting us through, letting us through, and say, "Excuse me, sir, can I talk to you?" Of course, with a funny accent. I'm like, "Yeah, man, what can I do for you?" Oh, mate, I'm sorry, the beard. I thought I had to talk, and he was very straightforward and honest. It was the beard that made him think. I needed to be pulled over. He profiled you. Got you. beard profiled. <laughs> Absolutely, oh, man. man. That's profiled, isn't it? Profiled. Profiled. Wait, what? What? Beardist? So, he was a beardist? He's a beardist. That a beardist. Yeah. I, I kind of want to tell him, dude, you shouldn't admit that part, but I just did whatever made him happy to, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> get me through customs and back on that airplane. So, um, speed flying is that new endeavor, or excuse me, paragliding and then speed flying, and, and both of them interest me. Cloud nine is what you went through. Sorry, I'm just trying to yep. backtrack and, and yep. get to where I was in the conversation. Hey, I, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I promote I promote things that I actually like. I believe in. If I don't believe in something, I'm not going to say, "Oh, you should go do this." I don't have any experience with any other paraglide training people, but I do with Cloud Nine, and the I feel the training I got with them was amazing. That's not to say that the training you're going to get somewhere else is probably also going to be amazing. Uh, for the most part. Um, you know, uh, paragliding and speed flying is kind of regulated like skydiving. We have USPA, um, paragliding and speed flying and, uh, and, uh, hang gliding have what's called USPA, uh, United States Hang Gliders Paragliding Association, which is kind of like USPA. Obviously it's a little different. Um, in skydiving, you can't get people to take you to altitude to jump unless you are following some sort of unless you are trained in some way, you can't, it's not like you can't go out and buy paragliding equipment and go try to learn on your own. I wouldn't recommend it, but, um, the training that you're going to get is, is regulated by Ushpa in, in a sense that, um, wherever you go, if they're an Ushpa rated, um, training facility, facility, the training you're going to get is pretty regulated. It's like, this is the training that we have and we're going to standardization, it's a standardization of training that I think is, it's pretty good. Some people, you know, they'll say that they went out and they learned on their own, and that's great. I'm glad you did that and didn't get hurt. And I think, I think knowledge is power. And I think uh, if you're willing to drop a little bit of money and go go uh, sit down with people that are knowledgeable and trained, you're going to walk away in a position where your 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 flying uh, learning curve is going to be so much steeper than if you were to just go try to do it on your own. And you're probably going to be a lot safer. A lot of people, and we see this in multiple sports, feel like their learning curve is retarded by taking coaching on early because a lot of times in coaching, we put you through so many extra paces. We put you through so many extra skills training. We put you through so many extra ideas, and people go like, that's just holding me back, bro. I just need to get to the legit stuff. And there's no doubt the sense of being held back in your learning curve is there, 
But I describe it to people all the time. It's that kinetic potential energy or potential to kinetic energy yeah. thing. If I hold my learning curve back, if I retard my learning curve and I build up so much potential learning energy, when I finally progress to that step I want to be on, my kinetic learning energy, my ability to learn more faster will be there. And in the long run, your learning curve will be steeper. Yeah. It took a different curve. You take that quick path without coaching, without good information, you're probably going to learn quicker sooner, but you're probably going to plateau sooner, and that guy who took his time is going to pass you right up. Yeah. Spend there, the money there to was learn a, more. There was a, a kid going around in the south down here somewhere, I think maybe mostly in Florida. Yeah. I don't know if you heard about this. The, uh, yeah. The kid that, I don't know how he got it, but he somehow managed to get a, a USPA a license. And come to find out, USPA realized that this wasn't legit, and they revoked the license, and they've been sending out information about this kid. It really it kind of freaked me out in my mind to think that somebody would be willing to just go buy a skydiving rig and just show up and be like, I'm going to do this, right? And to find out that there are people doing that in base jumping too, like um, you know, somebody that we both know, um, all three of us know, went to the bridge here recently and just intended to just go. I'm like, I'll just go and bring some gear and jump without even really getting any type of briefing or training or anything like that. And man, it just... It's did they do it or did somebody stop them? Uh, fortunately, there was some intervention with some people that were knowledgeable that, you know, they didn't... It's not like we're trying to stop people from, from living their life. I, I think the really weird juxtaposition that you see in base jumping is in skydiving we can kind of control who's going to jump yeah when someone shows up and they have gear but they don't have a rating or a license we just say uh sorry you can't jump but there's nothing that's preventing anyone from going and jumping off a bridge or a building or a tower there's nothing that's preventing someone from buying a paraglider and going up on the side of a mountain and trying to launch um they try their best to not really regulate it but to to like you said um have a uh, uh uh, training that is um, across the board. What's the word I'm looking for? Standardized. Having a standardized approach. But, uh, you know, I was talking to, to Jimmy a little bit, and I said, you know, we were talking about the frustrations that he must have getting. Uh, there was a large group of people that were pretty young at skydiving that were coming out there with not a ton of knowledge about flying canopies or packing canopies, and they've got a lot of gumption and a lot of um, desire but not a lot of knowledge. And I said, man, that must be frustrating for you. And his response was, it's a little different than skydiving because at least we can require them to get some kind of training. And when someone shows up with him to him that only has 90 skydives and wants to come through his course, he's more apt to take them, not because he thinks they're going to get a lot out of the course, but because he thinks at least I'm going to try and give them some knowledge so that they don't hurt themselves because they're going to go do it anyways. Right, they don't need to sit through a course if they don't want to. There's no regular regulatory agency for base jumping. There's no, there's no USPA or USPA. There's no FAA. In fact, in most places, it's just illegal. You're not supposed to do it. But that's not going to stop people from doing it. And no. so, I understand the logic now in 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 what they're saying, which is, you're going to get a lot of people that show up that are kind of stupid, and <laughs> and and make stupid decisions and don't really know about risk assessment and are willing to put themselves out there and, and do things that are weird. And the only thing you can do is try your best to befriend them and help them as much as you can so that hopefully you give them that one piece of information that saves their life when they need it. 
and it works. Uh, it, I, so many coaches, so many instructors, so many experienced jumpers give up on people right away. Right. And you've seen, I will take on a burden sometimes. You know, we, we've met jumpers who have issues, who have problems, and I won't invest in everybody. It just, you know, I, I've got to pick and choose my battles. But you've seen me invest in a lot of people. And, and I've been asked, why are you going to take the time? Why are you wasting your time talking to Ben Nelson? I just want to use you not to pick on you because I don't want to call anybody out. Why are you spending so much extra time helping Ben? He's making stupid decisions. No matter what advice you give him, he still does it. Well, number one, when Ben Nelson hurts himself tonight, I'm going to sleep poorly, but I'm going to sleep. If I don't try to help Ben, I'm going to sleep with a dirty conscience because yeah. I didn't actually try to reach out and help. So I actually help people out of my own sanity and my own sleep cycle. But also, I was a dangerous young jumper. We've <laughs> talked about this in your episode. Actually, I think in both of y'all's uh, podcasts, we talked about some of the stupid things I would do as a young jumper and some of the ignorant things. And I was the kid that, like, why are you trying to help that dumbass? And it was that that Jimmy approach of uh, at least I get the opportunity to talk to him. But what's what you said? And and I see you do it every day at the drop zone. You'll talk to somebody even though you think they're a lost cause, and you'll do it with patience. I've also seen you pull your beard out when they leave the room. Um, but true. man, people helped me. People made the difference and made the impact for me. And and it's funny because. Both of you know me as an examiner, as a guy who trains instructors, as a guy who knows safety, as a guy who helps with drop zone schools. And some of my friends moved to Paris Valley, California, and work with a guy named Steve Barker. And Steve totally understands what I do, totally appreciates and supports what I do, I believe. And he's even joined our podcast at times. But he also laughs when he hears what my job is. Because, no, no, DJ's a kid with 100 jumps trying to do a 270 on his toggles in the main landing area. <laughs> no, I was doing more like a 180, but that's okay. Um Taking the time to do what Jimmy is saying, taking that time to spend with people. He, it's forced in that world, yeah. right? In our world, uh, still take that extra time and try. Um, I tell our mentor program at Spaceland, one of the mentors, actually a whole party one night, we had, we had to get together. They were asking, what do you do when you can't get through to a student? And I tell them, well, I, I hate to say it this way, but it's an easy way. I work with a new jumper till I beat my head against the wall once. It only takes hitting my head against the wall once to go, ouch, that fucking hurts. I'm not doing it anymore. I will work with them till it hurts my head yeah. one time. And when it does, I know I can go to bed with a good conscience. I think really what it comes down for me is like... Um, it's your job. You're paid to do well, it. Well, beyond that, like there's a, there's, a, there's a cause and effect, right? And in skydiving, when you have somebody that's willing to break rules or when you have somebody that's doing things that you we all know they shouldn't be doing right now, whether it's downsizing, whether it's whatever... I think there's I think the thing that frustrates me the most is knowing that there's a good chance they're going to hurt, hurt somebody else. Yeah. Right. I mean, I want I'm I'm a I'm I consider myself to be someone that likes I don't like a ton of rules. I want people to be able to make decisions for themselves, and the decisions that they make if they affect only affect themselves, then it's like all right, we'll make that decision. Go do that. I mean, it's almost like. Uh, Darwinism, like we're weeding out the gene pool, I guess, by letting people like stupid people make stupid decisions. The downside is when you have different types of 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 people in in a sport like skydiving, when they make a bad decision, there's a good chance it's going to affect somebody else or a, a lot of other people. The one thing I noticed in base jumping is uh, the effects the effects you're going to have physically are going to be on yourself. You have to make decisions for yourself because if you exit this particular object and you're not ready for it it's the the direct result is going to be you getting killed or injured but there's an effect to everybody else in the sense that uh, for example the bridge in 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 uh 
in Twin Falls is legal. Well, all it would take is a, maybe a really bad year where 15 or 20 people make bad decisions and have a, have fatalities before they're starting to talk about even closing that down. So there is an effect. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, what I've been able to see in, in base jumping is, uh, you know, people are very concerned about the um, how base jumping looks to the public. But they're also very concerned for people individually. They don't want people to get hurt. Skydiving, obviously, we don't want someone to hurt themselves by making bad decisions. But when they do, there's usually a lot more other, other people that are being affected as well, which is is difficult. It's... It's so difficult, not just for our for for the sport of base jumping, but even skydiving. And and people so commonly say, "What's it matter if I just kill myself?" And and I, I get that, man. If you want to be suicidal, that that kind of sucks. And I understand most people are saying it not to be suicidal, but man, a you affect us because you leave that impact on our memories. We watched our friend die. That alone sucks, man. I don't yeah. want to throw a burden on cracking into the ground and letting you watch me do it. Um, it also bears a burden that every time somebody hooks it in, the FAA finds out about it. And every time the FAA finds out about people hooking it in, we get more and more attention from the FAA. Correct. And I don't want attention from the FAA. I don't want attention from my government, man. They, they, they can leave me alone. We can govern our own sport, and we're doing a reasonable job of it if... And I'm not talking about USPA governors because I think they do a good job. But as jumpers, we govern ourselves. If we do a good job of that, USPA and the FAA will leave us alone. And we don't have to worry about any of that that stuff. I agree. Um, So you're not just affecting that, man. And then people, I I had to have this conversation the other day with somebody, and it almost bothered me a little bit. But I I understood it was a very true question. And in the end of the conversation, like, well, that makes total sense. Why does the rule matter that much in tandem skydiving? You know, it, it, for example, there was a video recently of a dude flying a wingsuit on a tandem skydive, which both very experienced jumpers and they both did a good job. But for many manufacturers and organizations, it's illegal. And we talked about why. And and one of the guys says, so who cares if they want to go risk it themselves? What's it matter? It's not going to affect anybody. If we have one more tandem incident in the United yeah. States... I bet we may very well have tandem skydiving shut down. We've had enough attention on the mistakes we've made. Yeah. So once again, if you're out there doing anything, it's not about the mistake you make in the life you choose. It's about those you're leaving behind as well. Yeah, correct. You know, I, don't get me wrong. I value your life. Don't go kill yourself or anything. But you I, think that's I, all it is. I feel the same way. I mean, I mean, we're. I don't know how many more tandem fatalities away we are from from being shut down doing tandems. But I mean, uh, the perception perception is is a big thing, yeah. and people already perceive the sports that we do to be dangerous, even though we know that they're they can be pretty safe. And I do think we are one stupid tandem incident away from shutting down tandem yeah. skydiving in the United States. Absolutely. You know, uh, God God bless him. Uh, ben Ben Crowell just passed away in Louisiana through a heart yeah. attack on a tandem. Yeah. And that's not going to, I think, affect much for our tandem operation. But the FAA looks at it. Sure. But one more stupid mistake, and tandem ops are. are you know, I, quite I said this to done. somebody that um, that did a uh, a demo jump that um, they weren't qualified to do, and uh, the response was, "What if you had hurt somebody?" You know, we had to fight in order to be able to, um, USPA had to work very closely with FAA in order to get to a point where we could even do demo jumps into stadiums. And so when someone goes out and doesn't follow the rules because, uh, well, screw you guys, I should be able to do what I want. Um, it's all you, all it's going to take is for you to make a bad move and hurt somebody or hurt yourself. And then the FAA is just going to say, we're not going to do it anymore. You're not allowed to do it anymore. 
and that's not what I want. Yeah, it's back, back. paperwork aside, and and you know, as an SNTA working, having to deal with FAA on a relatively regular basis. Um, that all aside, you're going to ruin it for the rest of us. Yeah. So don't do that. It sucks to be you, by the way, for that paperwork crap. Um, you're not affecting just yourself. Stop thinking it's just me and it's my decision. It's your decision with a bunch of other people's lives hinging on it. One of the reasons I teach what I teach, one of the reasons I teach canopy courses is I truly believe my friends are safer. But fuck all that for one moment. You all fly in the sky with my wife. I'm making my wife safer. I'm making me safer. These guys who are flying parachutes are flying parachutes around some of my good buddies, around people like you. So I'm not thinking centrally. I'm not thinking to myself. I'm thinking about I'm helping those around me or I'm hurting those around me. So just make smart decisions. So you also are learning to fly? Like, uh, Yeah, I'm getting my, getting my pilot's license. Making an airplane, not motorboat. Noses. Yes, working on, working on it. How's that going? Where are you at in your pilot license career? Oh, man, I'm discovering that. Ooh, time uh, out, time out. Before we start this conversation, I need to get this done. Four levels of consciousness. Am I saying that right, Mr. Lot? Mr. P? Uh, con- Not no, consciousness. consciousness. It's a a competence. 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 Yeah. Can you, is, there a, is there an article somewhere online? Can you see if you can find an article on the oh, four yeah. levels of competence? Yeah, sure. You keep sure. quoting them, and w- I really Wikipedia like what you're that. saying. Wikipedia that. And post that in the comments for me. Like uh, half these things we post in comments are just purely for mm-hmm. us to remember to look at later. It's also uh, th- it's also called the um, hierarchy of competence. It's something that in the safety business um, uh, we talk about very frequently. Uh, and I think there was an article not too long ago um, about flying canopies using the concept of competency, um, the four levels of competency. And I think it might have been in Skydive Mag, uh, and it was excellent, very excellent. I know they had the uh, you don't know what you don't know or Kruger uh, Kruger Dunning effect. I always say that name wrong. Yeah, I know that was in parachutist. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know about the four stages of competence. I actually have to the, read the screen. The uh, first rule of Dunning Kruger is you don't know that you're in Dunning Kruger. And the second rule is you don't talk about Dunning Kruger, yes. <laughs> so you're safe there. Um, unconscious incompetence, conscious incompetence. Conscious competence and unconscious competence. Correct. Say that four times in a row. <laughs> that is going to be an embeffer. I, I guess the real the real problem is um, you can understand what each one of those means, but really assessing yourself um, truthfully, right? Where where am I in skydiving on the four competencies versus where am I at cave diving, right, or scuba diving or speed flying or the, the, my competency level changes as I move from sport to sport. And as your competency level changes, your ability to make really good risk assessment based on your, your knowledge and competency changes. And so when you're uh, a good example is this, you know, I'm talking about speed flying and, ba- and, and paragliding, but really I would hold what would be the equivalent in USPA standards to a B license in, in paragliding. That means I don't know everything. So you're just now starting your learning curve. My learning curve is is yeah fresh, fresh, uh, and a little bit more fresh than say an A license. But um, but to you know kind of put it into perspective, it's like my my competency level at paragliding is probably at a conscious incompetent phase where I I recognize that there are things that I don't know. And so I'm not going to push the boundaries until I can get the information I need to make a better decision, as opposed to 
unconscious incompetent where I'm just going to go out there and try to do a Mr. Bill because I don't know any better and I don't know what the bad things that could possibly happen to me are going to be. So I'm just going to go give it a shot and see what happens. Did you see that uh, video of those two kids out of the helicopter that try like three or four Mr. Bills that are increasingly Worse? less successful than no. the last? Uh, yeah, I can I'm imagine. Gonna, I'm going to see if I can find it. But yeah. I mean, when you look at videos like that, it find, you find yourself going, you know, what, what level of competency are they at when they're making the decisions or the risk assessment to go out and do that, that activity? When I talk about risk assessment, you know... Um, Nick well, was if you went back one page, that first link was that it. It said three Mr. Bill three failed attempts. Oh, this, that might be it. Yeah. Yeah. So so when I talk about risk assessment, <laughs> <Yeah>. one of the, <laughs> that thumbnail says it. That's that screen grab says everything you need to know about it. Oh, dude. I'm pretty sure he's not holding on to his own pilot sheet right there. Wow. So um competent incompetence. So so when I'm talking, yeah. I was just talking about risk assessment. You you kind of need to know where you're at competency wise before you can kind of determine uh, whether or not you're able to make a proper risk assessment. And the example that I use for this is um, when, a, when a, a young person gets their driver's license for the first time, say a 16-year-old. In, in Alaska, it's 16-year-olds. I don't know what it is down here for you to get your driver's is license. Is it 16 still? Uh, in most states. In Utah, it was 16. I'm pretty sure it's yeah. 16 in Texas. Yeah. So, yeah, 16 years old, you get your driver's license. Um, in taking a written test, you've proven that you understand the law. And in uh, taking the practical test, you've demonstrated <laughs> that you have the ability. <laughs> you have the ability to do. I am oh, sorry. so sorry. Yeah, Nick is playing this video in the background. You guys don't get to see this on oh, Facebook, Jesus. but I'm, I'm playing this you video. You can keep these, playing uh, it, though. It's dude. amazing. That was it's awesome. The, if you guys want to watch this, uh, the link that I just shared, uh, it's, on, uh, it's a join the team video. This uh, <laughs> repeated Mr. Bill fail, and it's really awful. Oh, my God. You're facing the wrong way, buddy. I'm just saying. So here's here's an example I'm going to use as I'm watching this video. They exit from a helicopter, which means they don't really have a lot of wind when they start, right? And you see him pitch this pilot shoot out, which kind of wraps around them for a second. Kind of wraps around them for a second and fortunately clears enough to start the deployment of the parachute. But it really causes you to ask the question, like, what level of competency are these guys at? They're clearly not at a level of conscience, uh, competency where they... Did he just cut that away? They have a good understanding. No, the guy, the, the guy hanging on fell off. Okay, I thought he grabbed the handle. They're not at a level of comp- competency. And his helmet's undone. All right, well, I'm done talking, I guess. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> this one's even better. I'm sorry. We're going to get back to Ben in one second, but this is 100% worth yeah, watching. Go, go, go watch that video. So you're at a level of competency. You you get back to it. No, I'm I'm talking about these guys, right? They're they're at a level of competency where they're I'm watching this pilot shoot go all over the place. They're jumping out of a helicopter. They clearly at this stage in their skydiving career haven't developed the knowledge that they need to to even risk assess or plan properly this skydive to where they they should be able to say, "Hey, we're going to jump out of a helicopter." which means there's not going to be any wind for a second, which means if I toss this pilot chute, it's going to do weird shit. They don't have a level of competency enough to be able to appropriately risk assess and plan this to the point where it's A, successful, and B, not there's less of a chance that they're going to get hurt. And it's like dive after dive of this. It's crazy. 
Dude, it's just man, that's crazy. That's, I'm so sorry we Please got to share that video because it's <laughs> yeah, it's in the pretty, comment thread already. Pretty amazing, it's, it's really. Yeah. And hey, by the way, no offense to these guys, uh, it goes back to you don't know what you don't know. And this is the third time I've watched Jesus, their, that full wrap around the, the his person wrist. doing the on the front of the Mister Bill unwrap a bridle around somebody because they're making some really <laughs> shitty decisions. I can untangle you really well. So the join the is team that a line over too. Jeez. Join the team is a really cool website, and you have a giant ass team sticker on your face. I do. What's up with you sporting that team sticker all over your face? So I'm a little bit of an investor in team. Um, I've invested some money into into the team brand, um, but also I'm really good friends with Andrew Rave, who is uh, one of the uh, founders of Team. He actually founded I Love Skydiving, and uh, him and Chris Cullum. Chris founded a founded the Team brand. And they combined and made I Love Skydiving into team, uh, as in join the team. And so um, they got a lot of good they got a lot of good stuff, man. They do Friday Freakouts, which is good. I think the thing about Friday Freakout that I like the most is that it's not necessarily just a showcase of, hey, this look this, this scary thing that happened. Yeah. There's definitely an aspect of let's talk about what happened so maybe somebody else doesn't have the same thing happen to them down the line. I was really skeptical the first time I saw Friday Freakout. Like, we're really promoting this kind of garbage. And I immediately saw a educational response to the crowd and was like, this is, I just took yeah, that watching. You know, my first instinct, I, I never said anything because I'm like, what the, oh, wow, people are having an intelligent conversation. Good job, folks. I it really, I think the team has been a lot of fun video to share. Yeah. Uh, I think probably twice a month, three times a month, I have a topic that comes to me with, I saw this on Join the Team. Yeah. How would you deal with this? What yeah. would you do? So it's not just prompting online conversations. It's prompting that famous quote, out, go ask your instructor. People always say that, which please don't make that your online cop-out. Go ask your instructor. You can yep. legitimately answer questions online if you have the expertise to do so. So uh, go ask your instructor is almost a nice way of saying, I don't know, go ask somebody else. Hmm. Um, I, again, I get that those people are also not trying to spread bad information. So what are you looking at now? Nick, not Nick, Ben. I was looking over to see if there were any questions. Okay. I saw you smirking and grinning at that screen. I didn't know if you were having a hard time reading it. or, or I can't read on. it from here, but I can read my iPad, which is right behind me. So I was going to ask about the airplane thing, but I actually want to take a little quick side gig. I want to take a little bit of side journey together with you guys. because Side journey. Side journey. Is that like a side chick? I am calling to order this meeting Okay. of Gravity Lab and Dallas Space Cruise Film Festival. Ooh, yeah. Um, so uh, we talked a little bit about this online. I'm trying to release a little bit more information as we, we get this more information. But Gravity Lab Radio and now officially Dallas Space Crew, initially we were talking with Dallas Space Crew, I could just say my Dallas friends, are going to co-host this film festival. And you've heard a lot of details over time, and we're about to release more information. Uh, but Ben Nelson, I do consider you part of Gravity Lab as Mini-P. You are definitely the backup to Nick. You've helped produce. You've been on this place. Um, so he's not only, I, I think, going to help that night with some of the hosting and some of the shenanigans, yeah. but you actually got de donated our grand prize or part of our grand prize. I did. So we're going to hold on to that for one second, but okay. I will tell you, if you win at the location, if you win at Houston, if you win at Dallas, do you have any idea what I've got arranged for prizes yet? Did you read that post online? I, I just only know the one that I was able to secure. Nick, did you manage to catch those online? Uh, God, I read it, but my memory's. uh 
No well, good. I'm asking because I wrote it and I don't remember. Let's see if we can come up with it. So, people, if only there was somebody that had access to all of humankind's knowledge and a magical in box. one spot, like say hey. a web, an interweb, if you will. It's on Rating Center, yeah. No, no, no. It's on that private group, uh, 2017 oh, Film Festival. Scheiser. So it's yeah. It's, I haven't announced any of it yet, so we're kind of letting some of the cat out of the bag here. 2017 Film Festival. Um, can I tell what I that's got? It. Um, no, I want to save that bit oh. of information. Um, so the location winner is, thank you, um, two jumps per location. So Skydive Space Ooh, and nice. Houston, Skydive Space and Dallas are each going to throw down two jumps for the location winner. A cookie, Nick Nick Kaminsky actually helped get me uh, tied in with the, with my boys at Cookie. Uh, and uh, gosh, I can remember his name right now. But he's donating two 30% off certificates from Cookie. So 30% off a awesome. G3 or a Fuel per location winner once again so Damn. each winner will get this lmb i will actually get these prizes already this week and i've gotten the certificates from cookie already is donating a viso 2 plus with their elastic wristband for the winner of each location so if you win at houston if you win at dallas you're getting two free jumps 30 percent off a cookie helmet and a viso 2 plus um if you win these things and you don't need them then keep the brand new version you're getting and give away what you got for free Hook people up, man. You yeah, know, I see so totally. many people selling these gift certificates. If we catch you selling gift certificates from any of the Rating Center or Gravity Lab events, we will nut punch you. We will murder you. We will kick you in the junk so hard. Yeah. That's... The only thing that will protect you is a meat helmet. <laughs> what about your meat uh, helmet? He's lucky for me, we're having a craft night this week. Oh, yeah. Building several meat helmets. Meat helmets. <laughs> what is craft night, Nick? Oh, that's I was full of shit. Okay. I was just thinking of an occasion like, where I would build a helmet out of meat. I was like, what the... And uh, arts, crafts, and meats. That's usually my Thursday night. Meat helmets. So um, the grand prize winner, uh, Velocity Sports Equipment, is giving uh, Maker Infinity Rig a 20% off certificate. Ooh, and this yeah. certificate's a little bit different because a lot of gift certificates, it's 20% off base price and then like a minimal, if any, reduction on options. And you spend half your money on options. It's 20% off everything wow so they're giving 20 percent off the options as well which is a you know 20 percent doesn't sound like a huge certificate but when you start looking at off the options as well oh yeah it That's adds a good up bargain. super quickly you um, know I, I think smart. maybe just to uh build some urgency we should like have a, a cap of how many entries we're going to accept for uh, like on a certain date or something like that just so we don't have i mean what what if we get hit i with think it isn't it already there the size file and how it's delivered and the num- like the t- date the date to which you no have to- no what you saw is previous rules for another event we don't have our rules uh. posted yet so I will tell you guys it's a five minute cap on how long the video yeah. is going to be it must be video or it must use audio that is um, going to be share friendly we should be able to post this on YouTube so be very hesitant be very careful if you're using copyrighted music and we post it on on Facebook or YouTube they might take it down so it's got to be videos that that can actually um, be posted on YouTube and Facebook. So uh, non-copyright materials at premiumbeats.com. Uh, Mr. P is really hooking up with that one. Yeah, I'll, I'll share a few that I use normally. Yeah, and, and he's got the hookup, man. That's where our, our theme music comes from is Premium Beats. Um, uh, I haven't put a, ta- a deadline of numbers. So you're suggesting uh, Dallas Base Crew would see like eight, nine entries in a given night. Okay. Um, and I'm really thinking we shouldn't see many more than 10 per location. That's about 50 minutes of showing video. Yeah. Um, With breaks in between, we're talking two hours. I mean, I, 
do we say we put out a cap of 10 and then we will consider an do open we, after Do we that? say that whoever submits a video also has to bring at least a case of beer? Is that too much beyond the... Um, I think if you're not submitting a video, you bring uh, beer. I like that. Yeah. Oh, dude. So I, I like that idea because I was thinking something else. Yeah, I mean, the people who supply the video supply the entertainment. The people who don't bring video bring the uh, other entertainment. Or strippers. That, I think, counts as other entertainment. Yes. Well, I'm already going to be and there. I feel like as a... And I'm going to take my pants off. Well... <laughs> We don't hit. Is it going to be raining dollars? Is that what you're saying? So, guys, thanks for listening to the Gravity Lab Radio <laughs> tonight. Uh, Nick, why don't you hit that music? One eight hundred skydive. Yeah, one eight hundred pants off with your dance off. Hey, don't be. Don't pretend like you're not excited to see the show. I'm going to put on. You guys are both pretending. <laughs> is there a cricket button you can hit? With chirp, Where's John? Too bad John Barry's not here right now to make his infamous cricket noise. Um, so yeah, I think we do need to maybe consider a number, but I don't know if we'll exceed that number. I, I, I'm not sure. Um, 20% off an infinity rig, beginning to end, the full rig. Um, a Protract 2. Nice. Not not a certificate for a Protract 2, brand new Protract 2 in the box is part of the grand prize. Nice. And the uh, four jumps, the grand prize winner gets four jumps of Spaceland. So we're giving away a total of eight jumps or Spaceland's hooking us up with that. Nice. And the ultimate or the last grand prize is the one you got. So kind of the, the cream on the top. What did you get? Oh, I can say now? No. Okay. Now. Now. Uh, you get to see Nick Lott with no pants on. Woo, woo. See, I knew that'd come around. Now. Come around. Uh, no, I actually, uh, my friends over at GoPro hooked us up with a GoPro 5. So a free video camera, man. Yep. I mean, a, a GoPro 5. Oh, Charity Perkins is one of the Dallas Base crew members. Super, super nice girl. Uh, she also said we could throw in as a grand prize a, f- a day of unlimited hugs from Charity. So, That's a lot of hugs. Um, you could Just also so you know, she loves to hug. Take them from Ben She's if a you hugger. wanted. She is a hugger. She is a hugger. There's no doubt about that. Um, so that's what's going on. If you don't have good footage, if you don't think you have the coolest skydives, we don't care. It's what gets the crowd's reaction the most is what's going to win this. I we'll think uh, so many times. just to kind of put it into perspective, some of the videos that I've seen, so most boogies you go to, big boogies, let's say uh, Carolina Fest, Summerfest, there's usually like a little video contest at the end. And I want to say some of the best entries I've seen don't actually have a lot of skydiving in them. Shenanigans. It's shen- it's drop zone shenanigans, which is not a bad thing. And you don't have to pander to our taste. Nick Lott, myself, Ben Nelson, Luke Hively, Brad, and Charity Perkins. You don't have to pander to our taste. You have to actually look for the crowd because the crowd is the audience in this or the crowd is the judges in this. This is going to be a crowd vote. The grand prize winner goes to a little runoff, and we've talked about that already. You're going to go on Facebook. You're going to battle it out for that grand prize of that GoPro. So definitely check. Check it out. We will be releasing more official information online. Um, the date, I'm going with October 14th, so um, I have not committed to a date yet. Now I've set it publicly, and that is the date we're going with. Unless somebody in the next 24 hours gives me a really damn good reason not to post That gives that. everybody ample opportunity to get more video between now and the end of the season. Blah, Smith, blah, blah, says sorry I'm late. Bruh. Your boyfriend, blah. Uh, no, it's he's not my boyfriend. He's Maxie's boyfriend. Um, you guys have a rancid love triangle. Uh, there's no triangle. I'm not even involved in that. It's him and Maxie. They're both too old for you. Yeah. <laughs> Way too old. Um, 
So so back to it. Back to uh, you're you're learning. Oh, we play footsies. Oh, <laughs> have you been flying an airplane yet? You say you're starting. You're working on so, it. So oh man, years and years and years. So I'm from Alaska. For all you people out there that don't know that I'm from Alaska, from the bush. Uh, and there's a uh, the highest number of pilot private pilots per capita than anywhere else. I think in the world for the most part. Definitely in the United States. Um, everybody and their dog has a pilot's license in Alaska, mainly because you can't. There's a lot of places you can't go unless you fly. We've got two roads, uh, one that goes north-south and then the one that goes towards Canada. And that's it. And so if you want to go anywhere in the state of Alaska, you better have a pilot's license or be able to buy a ticket on a plane that will fly you there. In fact, we're the only state that doesn't have that has a state capital that you cannot drive to. You have to fly or take a boat or climb over the mountains or swim. So, uh, yeah, there's, so there's a lot of pilots in Alaska. And, you know, you years know? ago, back in the 90s, I had done ground school stuff and I had started, I'd done some hours in a plane uh, to, I think it's two hours, two and a half hours, uh, in a, in a, um, in a private, private plane training program. And then, you know, life gets in the way. I was doing a lot of remote medicine back then and I was doing a lot of oil field stuff, uh, back then. And so it's, it's not kind of like starting new, but not really. I have a little bit of knowledge, but just enough to get me in trouble, um, but now the cool thing is a lot of the training that you do, in fact, shout out to Third Coast Scuba, Clay Harrison. Uh, we're doing a class next week and the week after that. Clay's teaching it and I'm kind of helping out. Um, you can do a lot of the stuff that we used to do back in the 90s with books and teachers. You can do it online. And so I've been doing uh, pilot pilot courses online and our scuba people are doing their scuba training online. So there's a lot of really cool things you can do online nowadays and uh, some of them involve you know, pilot porn your pilot's license hub. or porn hub. Oh, come on. We were so close. No. Jesus. That was the thing you were saying earlier. The thing you the wasn't going to say. The internet is for porn. <laughs> also for training. Porn, porn and training. So usually I'll do two chapters and then you're, watch some porn. You're training for your male porn career. No, no. I, I, do, me. I do two chapters of what I'm ben, training on. I'm not on. supposed to be being mean to you. You're making it too easy. Can we walk? I, can I we do step t- back from the porn hub? I do two chapters. Porn career. Two chapters of what I'm training on, and then I watch a little bit of porn, and then I go back to the more chapters. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's the type of porn. What kind of porn do you watch, Nick Lott? Let's have this conversation. Uh, dude, anything featuring Ben Nelson. <laughs> so midget porn. <laughs> <laughs> now I've got my Ben Nelson spank bank saved up in my phone. Wait, what? Yeah. He, yeah, huh? He sends me nudes all the time. It's crazy. <laughs> yes, yeah. he does. <laughs> I, do get, he's, he's I a, do get drunk. He's a beautiful man. Yeah. I, do get drunk. I mean, that's why I save him. That's the, that's the bus driving straight over Ben Nelson right now. No, <laughs> let's be nice to Ben. I don't want to. Let's not make fun of Ben. One of these days, I'm going to burn in. Ben's and, an honorable and, and man. You guys are going to do an ash dive, and part of that ash dive is going to be Nick sharing. He's going to make life size pictures of all these pictures I send to him, and he's going to put them all over the hangar. Yeah, that sounds beautiful. That's a beautiful celebration thing. of your life. Yes. And body. <laughs> <laughs> soul and soul. Nah. What about the one where I'm wearing a meat helmet? <laughs> where is this meat helmet That's coming from? That's an Austin Powers <laughs> reference. It's an Austin Powers I don't remember reference. that. Uh, God, go back into your spiel, Ben. You, you had the pretty oh, yeah, much. Yeah, I feel monologue. like if only you were, if only you had access to say a, a tube. That, I, I that, don't want to watch the internet do it. Could, I want to watch you do it. You are the internet. Much, yes, it's, it, it's been so long. I'm gonna get it all wrong. You uh, know, you might as well just YouTube that. Man, I I once upon a time I had this great memory that remembered everything with every movie I ever watched, and now I'm happy I knew where I am today. There it is. In the summer, we would make meat helmets. 
I'm gonna post the longer one just just to be safe. This is the first one, isn't it? Or is my vision just that blurry? Uh, yeah, I think this is the original one. Yeah, I, I do think <laughs> it is. Um, hey, I saw Hank Pruitt just joined. What's up, buddy? Henry Hank the Tank. Um, oh, it's Steve Boyd. What's up, Steve? So you're just <laughs> doing the book stuff. You haven't really been doing the in-air stuff. I've done in-air stuff back in the like I said in the late '90s, but I don't. I I'm just starting from scratch again, basically. Why get your pilot's license? I've always wanted to do it. And I feel like, uh, you know, one of the things I mentioned earlier before that getting a, uh, getting a paragliding rating seemed, felt a lot like when I went through initial pilot training back in the 90s. Um, you feel more like a pilot than you do just a, just a flying a canopy. You feel like you're actually a pilot. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. That's all I have to say about that. Are you? You feel like feeling like more is happening. There's just gravity sucking you I, back. I down feel to the like I feel like you're more in control of what you're like your destiny and what you're doing. It's not just when you're skydiving. You're you have a canopy over your head. You're going down. Yeah, you've and you're got in, a time Don't get limit. me wrong. You're in control, but um, something about something about flying. Whether it's flying a paraglider was so amazing because we were using na- nature to actually give us lift and let us fly around for a long period of time. And I just found myself constantly going, I can't believe that I'm able to do this without an engine. But um, I don't know. Flying appeals to me just because it's, I don't know, it's different and it's... It's empowered flight. And I mean yeah. empowered more uh, metaphorically than I do just power by engine. Yeah. And I do mean the the pun or the double meaning. Um do you think you'll ever become a jump pilot? In other words, fly skydivers? Oh, shit. I don't know. I don't uh, know the answer to that. I, I kind of ask because you have a relationship with another drop zone. You're the manager at Spaceland. Yeah. And I think as you manage drop zones and work with drop zones, the more yeah. diversified you are, the better you can help your own situation. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's easier for me as a manager to at least relate and be able to carry on better conversations with jump pilots, having a little bit more knowledge of what it is that they're actually dealing with. You know, one of the things I was talking with uh, a couple of jump pilots in the last couple of weeks, JP, I was talking to yesterday, and one of the things they were saying was so frustrating when when jumpers don't understand what it is that they do and how they do it. There's this misconception that pilots are grumpy old guys that nobody wants. Uh, you know, we tried to task him on jump run what ground speed was, and he told us to go fuck ourselves. Um, if you have a little bit of more understanding of what pilots go through, you you have an understanding of hey, you know what, on jump run, they're not only trying to trim the plane and get the right speed and figure out what ground speed is. They're also talking to air traffic control. They're also talking to other planes. There's all these other things that are going on that skydivers don't see. They just see a guy sitting up there with his headphones on flying, and they see them tap on the guy's shoulder and him turn around and be like, leave me alone, i got to focus, and then go yeah. back to work. And now it's like, oh, that guy hates us. You might not realize it, but I, you know, we do right seat rides all the time and have fun. And I've seen multiple occasions, a jump pilot, JP, Rabbit, Jason, who are talking to, you said, air traffic control. Yeah. Manifest wants to know where they're at in Correct. the sky. We have another jump plane who's saying, where are you at? I'm, in, I'm entering the gate, and I'm getting ready to come in the door like, no, 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 I got jump. Yep. You need to back off. And now we got a, a jumper tapping him on the yeah. shoulder saying, what's ground speed? Yeah. And it's nice to know, but ask the information early on, and the pilot has a chance, he will give it to you. Yeah. And if he doesn't, understand that it's not. And and realistically, we have enough information given to us. Yeah. Um, I think it really, honestly, uh, you know, it helps me as a manager to have a better understanding of what the pilots are going through, just so that I can... Um, 
I don't know, if, if, if anything, have a little bit more empathy. Maybe even make some better decisions on how I communicate with them from the ground, knowing that knowing what I know about what they're actually dealing with at the time of, of uh, you know. So part of my point around. of that question, I think, goes a different way than I thought it was. You're using this partially for training for work. I mean, I think it's more of a personal goal than anything. Sure, I want to. I want to fly. Who? I yeah. mean, it's a. Well, why Ro- not? Ronnie Maine actually makes a comment, and it is. It's one of our greatest achievements as a species. Um, learning to fly, learning to overcome gravity, learning to fly in a powered process. Um, it is one of our greatest accomplishments sure. as a species is, is to overcome something no other species has done in such a way. Yeah. Um, but you're definitely using it for a work tool. And, and again, I thought the case would be to be able to fly jumpers or that was my direction. But it's, oh, I don't I don't necessarily I wouldn't necessarily throw that rule that out, but I'm not. That's not one of my goals. But your immediate goal is to understand what these jump pilots are sure. going through. Absolutely. Um how you might be able to answer this question. I know you and I will hop in the right seat on a regular basis and, and ride with our buddies in the right seat. Um, as Spaceland is a drop zone, we have an experienced jumper who wants to hop in the right seat. Of course, we have a lot of pilot training going on, so the answer is no with mm-hmm. those days going on. But if there's an empty right seat, I also think every pilot's different. Some are more receptive to it than others. Sure. How open is Spaceland to allowing our licensed skydivers riding in that right seat? I would say it's uh, definitely an option. Um, don't be offended if we say no at that point in time. I mean, uh, it's on a busy Saturday. Yeah, maybe we're gonna say, oh, that's not a really good idea. If you're out there on a Wednesday and um, we're not super duper busy, and there's an extra spot on the plane in the right seat, um, I'm very and the pilot's on board with it. Obviously, uh, yes. Then uh, I'm not opposed to to letting that happen. And I'll tell you, uh, I really would recommend trying to get in a right seat ride on a weekday and do two or three loads with that pilot. But a lot of the a lot of the really good stuff. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, is uh, being in tune to the radio while you you know having the headset on and listening to what's going on when you're on jump run, and you're listening to that pilot talk to five different people. You know, he's talking to another plane that's in our airspace. He's talking to air traffic control. He's talking to manifest, and he's talking to another jump plane all at the same time all while people are trying to distract him. Um, I think it gives you a new level of uh, appreciation for the what the jump pilot is going through. It does. At times, we have restricted airspaces. Uh, you know, when clouds and weather are in such a pattern, hobby or bush have to more hobby than anything else redirect in our general direction. And they actually are very good. Air traffic control is very great at, at talking to our pilots and saying, hey, stay to this direction or go this way or True. avoid this area. And we, we, we are also restricted climb boxes. Get to know some of our pilots on a friendly basis. Offer them a beer, hang out with them, and just shoot the shit with them. And once you see they feel comfortable with you, say, man, I really... Uh, see the job you guys do, and I really appreciate it, and I'd like to get a better understanding. I'd like to get a better appreciation of what you guys are doing. Would it possible? Would it be possible for me one day soon to sit in the right seat with you for three or four loads? Yeah. And if you approach it that way, I bet you on a busy Saturday, a jump pilot will go, actually, yes, especially if you present it with a, I appreciate what you do. Help yeah. me educate myself what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. Help me understand it better by allowing me to be there so I can better appreciate sure. and understand what you have. But one of the toughest things that the pilot has to go through is, you know, in most cases in skydiving, um, their license is on the line, right? And so so when, they say, when they say that they're in command of the aircraft, they're in command of the aircraft. And so it, one of the things that they don't get to do very frequently on a busy Saturday is explain the why of what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. They'll just tell you to do something, and a lot of people think, oh, that guy's just grumpy or he doesn't like me or whatever. 
they have a reason why they just can't sit there and explain it to you right then and there. And guess what? They're going to fly another 35 loads between now and when they're on the ground. So they're not going to get to explain it to you for the rest of the day. Don't be afraid. First of all, don't be offended when the pilot says, I want you to do this and just do it. I don't want you to question. Just do it. The pilot knows what they're talking about. Number two, don't be afraid to approach the pilot after the fact, maybe the next day when it's not as busy, and say, hey, you know, I didn't know, understand what you were telling me in the plane. Can you explain to me why it is we do that? None of our pilots are going to have a problem with explaining that to you and um, making sure that when you walk away from that interaction that you have a better understanding of why it is that they're saying what they're saying. But they can't explain it to you right then and there when they've got 20 more loads to fly and they're just trying to get the plane off the ground or they're just trying to get jumpers out of the plane. Don't be afraid to talk to them, though. They're, um, with the exception of rabbit, nobody else bites. And rabbit only bites where you ask them to. True. I don't. I. I think there's a little bit of a mistruth there. They won't mind sharing these answers with you. I think that's a little bit uh, misleading because actually, I think all of them are eager to share these reasons. Oh, yeah, with absolutely. You at the right time. So so get Ben right. Ben is 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 telling you ask them because. Yeah. I'll tell just, you. Just just know that there's a time and a place to ask that question. And yeah. on jump run, asking the why is not really appropriate. No, I do. They're not going to tell you why. They're too busy flying the plane. But when you get them on the ground, maybe they're uh, catching some lunch or it's not super busy. They're, they love to talk about flying and they love to explain why it, what it is they make the decisions that they make. And uh, you'll find most of them to be um, very helpful. Very educational. Yeah. Uh, they, they really... And we're in a very, very weird place at Skydive Spaceland. When I say in a weird place, uh, we're in Texas. Would you now, say a sexy place? A sexy place. Are we in place. a sexy place? When I say Spaceland? weird is I think our pilot with the lowest jump numbers is probably Jorge. Do you know how many jumps Jorge has? And I'm not sure. How many flights? Jumps. Oh, jumps. Oh, gosh. I don't know. I mean, he's at least a tandem instructor. but He, I, he is uh, a tandem instructor, and he's probably got a few thousand, I would yeah, imagine. Yeah, I think he's got a few thousand. But most of our instructors, and he might have more than that, but most of our pilots, rather, have thousands, 8, 9, 10, 12, yeah. 13, 14, 15,000 skydives in 20, 30, 40 years in the sport. Yeah. So we don't just have guys up there who are just yeah. flying planes. A vast majority of our pilots are are skydivers and instructors, yeah. or were at least at one point in time. A lot of drop zones we go to, pilots are just guys trying to build hours. Um, I was working in Skydive Greensburg. It no longer exists. They moved and renamed it Skydive Indianapolis. And we had a pilot for the season who he couldn't get us on the spot ever. So the DZO said, line up off the drop zone two miles away from the airport. And when you line up two miles away from the airport, give us the red light, and the instructor is going to spot out the door. It happened to be me that day. And for, for my sister and everybody else who's listening, spotting means we look out the plane, we look over the spot we are on the ground and tell the pilot if he needs to correct going left or going right, when to actually give us a green light or cut, when to slow the plane down enough for us to start jumping out of it. And I looked out the door and I straight up looked down and yelled, 90 left. That means turn left 90 degrees. And not that's not just for our non-skydiving friends. A lot of our young jumpers today don't know what it's like to look out the door and manually adjust the plane, telling them how to adjust. But 10, 15-degree adjustments is what we normally do. Typically. I had this guy turn 90 degrees left, fly that direction for a sustained amount of time before I asked for a 90 right. And when we landed, I said, dude, what were you doing? Dude, I try to fly over the drops in every load. And I figured it out. How do you know over, you're over the drop zone every load? I look out my left window and I see the drop zone. He thought he was over the airport. Uh, I mean, if you're driving a car, imagine looking out at your left window. You're not in your parking spot. You're looking at the parking spot next to you. <laughs> in an airplane, that's a mile or more yeah. offset to actually get that. 
So this guy had thousands of hours as a pilot. He fly, flew commercial airlines for a living. He flew passengers in metal tubes for pay. <laughs> he reads instruments for a job, and he couldn't put jumpers over a spot. I think that really shows how much of a talent it can be. Ben looks like he needs a beer. No, I'm looking, I'm looking at a comment from Henry. No, no, no. I'm reading that. Ben looks like he needs a beer. Oh. So um, can we get a beer somewhere? Maybe. Can, can yeah, I know a guy that can do that. Mr. P is on the job. Mr. I, I P, can... Mr. P. Oh, he's going and doing that for me. Oh, dude, Mr. P's the man. He takes well, care of business. Hey, just so you know, we recycle here. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Valerie has her uh, bachelor's degree in environmental science and management. She, my, my wife, she doesn't always look like it. It's just a little hippie. And she married you, you filthy dirtbag? Um, I think she married me to actually help the environment, help the planet by, you know, making this better. And I don't know how she does it. <laughs> this is better, The only way, the way she makes it, uh, actually, she makes it worse. Do you want to know why? She ha- have you me. Have you ever heard the, uh, the, the uh, saying that, the, um, that hot girls hang out next to ugly girls to make them look better? Well, Val's hot and she hangs out next to you, who is not a hot girl. To look better for her, but it makes you look worse. Did that come out right? I think that came out right. It, it makes me better. I'm with Valerie. No, it makes it makes her look better because she's standing next to you and you're ugly. That's what I'm trying to say. You're ugly, you're an ugly man. Valerie would have words with you. I feel like Valerie understands that you're an ugly man. Mrs. Marvin is going to come in here and whoop your ass any second now. And you know what? I'm fine with that. Okay. Um. Uh, again, lose tra- train of thought. I, I like this. The more we drink, the less we make sense and know what's going on. What the hell are you reading? As jumpers are supposed to know the winds aloft. Um, oh, Hank. As jumpers, we are supposed to know the winds aloft. If jump run is into the wind and it's a strong wind, the jump run will be slow. And it's not windy. It will be a normal 90 to 110. Um, that is such a strong point, man. As skydivers, read the winds aloft. Read the apports. Now, those are forecasts, and we know how good the weathermen are at their job forecasting. But more often than not, you get a reasonable proximity. Um, something that JP pushes really strongly. Look out the fucking door and see how fast the ground's going by below you. Yeah. Because if you look out the door and the ground's going by really, really slow, take more time between groups. Yeah. If you look down and the playing the ground behind you or below you's going by really, really fast, get out. Um, and you'll very quickly learn how to judge that. Start learning and. and when you hear various ground speeds, pay attention to what the winds aloft were. Pay attention to what's going on in the conditions so you're educating yourself. That thing that you keep talking about, being open to knowledge. Yeah. And you'll probably learn that you don't need rabbit think, to tell you these things. I think it's not only being open to knowledge. It's about um, it's about making good decisions. So did I ever tell you the story about the guy that I went scuba diving with, uh, I don't know, a while ago? Um is this the guy you went scuba diving with with a vat of KY jelly? No. Okay, then you didn't tell me what this I'm one. talking about. So we had a there was a conversation going on. I forget where it was. It was Facebook. I don't remember if it was Third Coast, but there were fun jumpers going back and forth about some things that they thought they would like to see at Spaceland. And somebody was posting something about it would be really nice to have a um, maybe like an iPad or something on the door next uh, on the wall next to the door in the airplane that gave ground speed. Mm-hmm. Then the jumpers could always see what ground speed was when we're when we're on jump run and on the on the one hand I'm like, yeah, that would be a great tool for our fun jumpers to use, but on the other hand what I'm finding is that as we get more technology, 
in these different types of sports, we rely so heavily on those technologies that when they fail, we don't have a backup. We don't have a means in which to um, make good decisions because we've relied so heavily on this particular piece of technology. A good example is in the military, Army and Navy, right? The Army has started to do, in the last, I don't know, five, six years, has started to do more orienteering training involving compasses and maps um, that don't involve GPSs because what they're discovering is that they trained everybody on GPSs and didn't teach them anything about maps and compasses to the point where when the GPS failed, nobody knew what to do and, or where, where to go. Where do we go? We're Same thing in the Navy. They didn't train anybody how to navigate by the stars using a saxton and a compass. And so when GPS has failed, everyone's standing around on a boat going, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what I'm supposed to do anymore. And so when we give this technology to people and then they go somewhere else where that technology doesn't exist, they're not able to make a smart decision, say that they go to another drop zone where that technology is not a part of that drop zone's uh, culture. But I went, on a, I went on a really short little scuba trip with a buddy uh, out to a lake here in Texas. And uh, we really didn't need a dive computer in the sense that we weren't going that deep. But he had a dive computer on him and it broke. And he goes, well, I can't dive. I'm not going to be able to dive. I said, well, what's the problem? He goes, my dive computer broke. And I said, well, let's pull out the dive table and we'll do the little math together and we'll figure it out. Oh, I don't really know how to do that. Well, what do you mean you don't know how to do that? You have to learn how to do that when you get your open water scuba rating. At least I did back in the 90s because we didn't have dive computers. And uh, he just said, yeah, I learned that once, but I never had to do it again after that because they taught us how to do it, and then they gave us this computer, and now they're relying so heavily on the computer that when it breaks... And my, my only thought to that was, if that had broken while we were down underwater, what would have happened? You know, what would he have done? We would have come to the surface, and he wouldn't really have known what to do to figure out if he was going to be okay or not. And so I find myself thinking the same thing along the lines of um, and any sport that that I participate in, but skydiving especially, is we rely so heavily on other people to make good decisions uh, or tell us what to do, or we rely so heavily on the pilot to tell us what jump run ground speed is going to be. When I could take a look at the winds aloft, take a look at the jump run direction, and come up with an approximation of my head of whether it's going to be fast or slow, and at least have that in my brain as a backup. But instead... Uh, when I talk to people about ground speed, it's like, why didn't you know what ground speed was? Well, the pilot didn't tell me on jump run. Ugh, well, geez, <laughs> when you go over to that other drop zone in that other state, that pilot's probably not going to tell you what jump run ground speed's going to be. How are you going to figure it out for yourself? And it's a, it's a really weird, kind of a weird position to be in in skydiving where we have to constantly keep... Spaceland, we're kind of spoiled, man. We have all this cool technology, and we have all these smart individuals that are able to make these awesome decisions. I just want to make sure that the jumpers who learn and progress at Spaceland when they go to other drop zones are able to make good decisions using their brain and not having to rely on excellent pilots like we have at Spaceland or excellent uh, equipment that we have at Spaceland. They're making the right decisions because they know how to make right decisions, not because um, they're relying on on technology or somebody else that makes sense absolutely sorry man a little of that uh pepper crusted ba uh burger man it just is coming right back up right now it's delicious dude that dude uh heb i've never seen it went there actually to buy dinner for tomorrow night and saw those burgers i'm like i guess i know what i'm doing for dinner at uh tuesday night it was delicious um you you, you 
we are. We're so spoiled, and people look at all the information we have available, and we're even spoiled enough that you actually should know these answers because we actually have a board at Spaceland, and other DZs do this as well, that tell you, here's today's conditions, here's today's direction of jump run, here's today's expected ground speed. We actually have that in writing up and posted almost every day. It's rare that it's not there. But yet people still don't know it before they get on the plane. We make it so accessible yeah. that they actually take it for granted. Not only do they take it for granted, but when it's not there, they are lost. They don't know how to find that information out for themselves because they're so used to us giving it to them mm -hmm. that when uh, maybe there's a day when I'm not around and whoever's there that's kind of filling in for me or, or whoever doesn't do it the way I do it and you don't have that information at hand, how are you going to come up with that information as a, as a fun jumper? There's ways of doing that. Um, don't rely on me as Ben Nelson, the manager, to be the only one that posts that information so that you can find it. Learn how to find it. Learn how to figure it out. I'm not going to be there to help you when you're in Eloy or when you're in Paris or when you're at Sebastian or when you're in Chicago. I'm not going to be able to help you have these conversations and figure this out. You're going to have to do it on your own, so you might as well learn how to do it now. Yeah. Chris Vidal, uh, Henry Pruitt, a lot of other people, I'll give a lot of credit to, but Chris Vidal, I'll pick on and give a shot, a shout out to at the same time. Chris Vidal was recently uh, talking with me and really just decompressing. He was venting more than anything else. Dude, I've had the same student ask me 12 times today, what do I think of the weather? What do I think of the weather? What do I think of the weather? I had even last week and helped him download every weather app we use, every website we use, showed him how to use it all. And yet he's still asking me. And so, A, kudos to Chris because he's actually teaching his students and his jumpers. Uh, Henry or Hank Pruitt has posted on our student page how to look up all this information. So they've made that, that information accessible to us. And what I challenge Chris to do is next time that student asks you, look at him and say, what's your phone tell you? Yeah. What's your phone tell you? And some people will look at me because I do that regularly. Hey, DJ, what about this? Well, what would you do? What's your phone tell you? What's the data there? What's this? I tell people that answer, and it's not because I'm being mean or being rude. It's because I'm making you look it up yourself. Yeah. I could give you answers all day long, but number one, don't trust me. I am I, I'm not the most reliable source of information, man. I don't remember things very well. So don't just trust me. Look it up yourself, number one. But number two, what are you going to do? As you said, if I'm not there to help you another day, if I'm sure. not at Eloy when you go visit there, or if I'm not at Baldwin in, in, in uh, Wisconsin area, um, Minnesota area uh, to help you, learn to look this information up yourself and, and ask an instructor, ask your friend, ask a knowledgeable guy, because I'm sure skydivers like to share information. Yeah. I would venture to say, too, that... Uh Having access to all that information doesn't necessarily mean that someone's going to be able to disseminate that information to a point that's going to give them any type of conclusion. When they're asking, you know, what, what does the weather look like to you, say to an instructor, um, it might, that might be the time that you would want to explain the why. Let's open that up, app up together. Let's open that website up together. Let's look at it and let's disseminate the data together uh, so that you have a better understanding of what the data actually means versus just, Hey, here's a yeah. here's the websites that I use and stuff. Well, that's great, but to a young person who is unconscious, incompetent, they um, they see all this information, but they don't have enough knowledge to actually formulate any type of conclusions because they just don't have they don't have the experience and the knowledge to actually say what does this information mean. Yeah. 
one plus one equals two. I don't get it. What does that mean? How do I get to that conclusion? And, and just in Chris's defense, and I agree with you, and that's a good point to make, but just so so people know who sure. are hearing this, Chris had actually done that with that suit. And I yeah. know you're not attacking sure. that situation. It's, it's information for people well, to hear. Any opportunity I have to make fun of Chris Vidal is kind of a plus in my book. I hope you're out there, Chris. Oh, dude, listening. Chris probably isn't. His technology is broken. He turns on his cell phone, and the battery dies in a matter of about 10 minutes. Uh, well, now I'm going to have to make fun of him in front of him tomorrow. Uh, he should be helping out with the coach course tomorrow. He actually should be doing an evaluation jump with uh, one of the two Ricky Bobbies I got in class Perfect. right now. Perfect. So they're both a little bit of a Ricky Bobby to me. Um, one looks like it and one acts like it. You can pick which one's which. I don't know. It's a tough one. Yeah. So uh, super nice guys just making fun of them. Um, you're, you're, you keep in, in all these topics I want to get to, you also doing something about dive masturbation school. I'm, I'm working, well, I want to get my dive master eventually, but um, what I'm working on right now is getting my uh, rescue diver certification. What's rescue diver? Uh, so just kind of like in skydiving, there's different levels of uh, scuba diving, and there's open water, advanced open water, there's rescue diver, there's dive for photographer diver there's master diver there's diver instructor so all these different levels that you can get and it's just another step in the direction of becoming a dive master um so it's like kind of like saying uh it's like a sea license for diving i guess is the best way to describe it does it it. allow you to do anything special beside i mean Uh, not necessarily just um it's a it's a level of knowledge that's a little bit above and beyond what uh, the normal advanced diver would have so it's just a title more than anything else yeah as far as rescue diver yeah um, just like, uh, I, th- I can't remember what we've classified cause they've reclassified licenses a few times in my lifetime, uh, master license, novice license, advanced license, sure. just, just another name. Mm-hmm. Um, what I, I, I had a buddy who owns a scuba shop in San Diego in Oceanside, California. He, I watched him talk about this shit all day. I watched him teach the tables of things you're talking about. Sure. I had no sense, man. I know how to turn the knob. He told me to turn when he was <laughs> filling tanks. I hung out in the back of a dive shop act like an idiot. He took me in the water once with a thing to breathe through. And I mean, it's awkward. And that's all I can tell you about scuba diving. I mean, we were in the water for five minutes in a pool. I'm like, sure. oh, that's weird. You got to breathe through your mouth. Um, how much scuba diving have you done? How far have you gone? Oh, gosh. I've been diving since the 90s. Late 90s, I think 98 is when I got my first open water certification. And um, I, I, fortunately, I've had the opportunity to dive all over the place, Hawaii, Australia, Thailand. Um, I, I think my last big trip was to Roatan, Honduras. Ooh. Last, was it two summers ago? Yeah, about two summers ago. Um, just specifically to do some diving, and it's um, uh, Turks and Caicos. Went to Turks and Caicos, did some diving. Uh it's just one of those things, you know. Uh, I talk to a lot of skydivers that either want to learn how to skydive, or excuse me, that want to learn how to scuba dive or do scuba dive, and it's kind of the same thing they say every time. It's so different than skydiving in the sense that um, it's very. It's first of all, when you go dive, it's a long thing. It's not a sixty-second ordeal where you jump out of a plane and deploy a parachute. Uh, you know, it's a half a day, and you're going to go do an hour or two dive um, <coughs> over a period you know, for a period of a couple hours. You're going to do dives. Um, and it's like a whole new world, man. It's like being in outer space. You're floating, you're weightless. Um, you're seeing things that you wouldn't normally see that a lot of people wouldn't normally see, see creatures that you wouldn't normally expect to see or that you've, you know, only seen on TV. Uh, and in a lot of ways it's, um, skydivers use it as a way to get away from skydiving. They need something other than skydiving, especially people that are professional skydivers that they live on drop zones and that's all they do. 
Uh, a lot of people like to sneak away and do some scuba diving on the side just to like decompress from skydiving and do something different, which is totally awesome. I lived on the ocean most of my life, um, a few years in Indiana. Other than that, Houston's probably the first I've lived from the ocean since third grade or something like mm-hmm. that. It's it's I've lived within blocks regularly. And at night, I would not be able to sleep, and I would just go sit on the cliffs in La Jolla Shores in San Diego and just watch the beach just roll in. At nights in Hawaii, when my girlfriend and I would sneak out at night, because, you know, in, in high school, you couldn't stay at the house. You'd have to sneak out. <laughs> girlfriend. Girlfriend, man. Really, dude. I had a name for her. Yes, she was inflatable. She was still my girlfriend. Pam- Pamela Henderson. Pamela Henderson. Um, we would go sit at the beach and watch the beach roll in and watch yeah. waves. And there was a piece to the sound. But for me, it has the same element. I, I surfed a little bit in Hawaii. I was never any good. I, I boogie boarded, body surfed. Um, and it always had that same element the sky does to me. I am such an insignificant part yeah. of this element. Yep. When I'm in the sky, I can be under parachute or free fall, and I can look around, and there is miles beyond miles beyond miles of nothing around me. And I am just a speck in the sky. When I watch my buddy skydive and I look up, one of the things that amazes me the most, or not amazes me the most, but reminds me of life the most, the one of the things that really touches me most, I look up and I see how you're absolutely nothing in a sky of a much bigger yeah. thing. And the ocean's the same way. Do you get that sense in scuba diving? You do. And uh, uh, Holy shit, Mr. P. Hey, take it easy. Holy shit, man. What is that I see? Hi, Sam. Hi, Sam. Uh-oh. Come on. Take it easy. I just want to say hey, hi sweetie. to Sam, man. Hey. So, Mr. P. I, I really think this is the first time Sam's tuned in. I think it is, too, man. I would have noticed so that. So maybe we should put a little bit more video over there on uh, Mr. P's yeah, side. Yeah, yeah. Let's show Sam a little bit of that sex. Oh, there I, is. I, I brought it over here. Don't there worry. It's all good. Oh, yeah, girl. Um, Mr. I, P. She, they say I, our boy Nick's I know one that bad she mother. Ha- shut your mouth. really watched the podcast. because she's, Or maybe I just don't interact enough. She's like, do, th- do you ever get to talk? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I just... Don't really, uh, I feel like when I turn the camera this way, like that I have to have something that was valid enough to interrupt your conversation. <laughs> and right now, I don't think this is it. I'm not feeling super confident about this segue. About scuba diving? You don't feel confident? No, see, now, now I'm interrupting scuba, scuba diving. No, but you don't feel confident, uh, comp- competent about talking about scuba diving? I'm terrified of scuba diving. I could tell you about how to not scuba dive. I could tell you all about that. And it is Sam's second time, apparently. Um, I don't know if that's true. And I, Who I, I, is I have, man? <laughs> no one understands him but his woman. Nick. <laughs> Damn right. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? <laughs> and they say is, our boy Nick's one bad mother. Shut, shut your, your mouth. mouth. <laughs> Just talking about Nick. <laughs> this, this has been going on since what? Two o'clock. How, how early two were you singing this song? Yeah, two, two o'clock. This two afternoon. o'clock. Yeah. This, this is why we have been on the show. <laughs> um, he hates water. I don't even drink it. That's how much I hate water. You hate water. Do you have a water phobia? When I was a really little boy. Does that mean you can't take a shower? Do you, do you <laughs> yeah, lick yourself clean like why. a cat? Exactly, yes. You Wait do. a minute. You Leg in the yourself. air, just like, ah, uh, ah. Uh. I'm, I'm really, this is exciting right now. You should have. No, I'm going to tell you a story about my fear of water. You ready? Go. So when I was a little kid, I had really bad ear infections. So they put tubes <laughs> in my ears. <laughs> stop, stop watching the playback. DJ is watching something and laughing about it that he saw literally 20 seconds ago. Okay. 
So you had an ear infection. Little boy, ear infection, tubes in my ears, right? So the infections can drain out. So the first thing I ever remember learning from my mom and from a doctor was don't put your head under the water. It's going to hurt you. It's really bad for you. Don't put your head under the water. And it really, really stuck with me. And then when I got old enough to, to want to play in the water, I just I had no urge to. I didn't want to get in the water. I didn't want to put my head under the water. I think we need to break that fear. I, I mean, I can get in the water. I can get into the pool. But I mean, honestly, still putting my head underwater, God, it's super so, uncomfortable So me. when we Unless I have a snorkeling mask on. Yeah. If I have a mask on, it's all good. I don't give a shit. Well, there is a point in time in training where you're going to have to take your mask off and then put it back on and clear it. Yeah, I'm going to quit the day before that. Oh. So so the good thing is when you do scuba training, most... Didn't you sign up for the scuba training? Nope. No, sir. No. Go ahead. He did Sorry. not. He did not. I thought you, you were working on that, though, weren't you? See, I wanted got my back. To. Sam will vouch that I swam with sharks in, uh, in Belize. That doesn't mean anything. I punched one me. in the face. <laughs> so uh, when, so you, when you get your scuba training... So the next, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. And then I said, "Fuck you, shark." Fuck you, shark. <laughs> I'm, I didn't do any of that. I stole that whole bit from Dane Cook. Uh, just, tr- just trying to interrupt Ben Nelson. Okay, scuba training. Sell me on it. Go. It's amazing. Not should, going. Nope. It. That wasn't it. You wrote. You blew your chance. No. So when you start scuba training, you initially get your tanks and your mask and all that stuff on your BCD and all that crap, and you get in a pool, which BCD? is super not intimidating. Because it's clear water, it's not that far from the surface, you can practice before you take you to the open water setting. I think you do fine. See, what, what you're saying makes a little bit of sense to me, because yeah. if someone said to me, I don't want to go skydiving because I'm afraid of it, because I'm afraid of heights, I would yep. say, no, no, it's not like that. Correct. You don't understand. Correct. There's this beautiful, beautiful aspect yes. to it. So I understand your argument, and that's what makes me want to give it a chance. But the, the fear that I, it's the oldest fear that I have. It's the yeah. most, like, it feels like the most hardwired so one of the thing most, in me. One of the most amazing things being a tandem instructor is to see someone overcome that fear and when, as soon as they get down, once that fear is overcome, the first thing they say is, oh my gosh, I need to do that again. I think that you would do the same thing with scuba diving. I don't know. I've snorkeled a couple of times. So we snorkeled in Hawaii, which was beautiful. Snorkeled yep. in Belize, which was beautiful. Yep. It's really nice. Like, yep. And uh, I get to enjoy the I mean, I can pull out some, enough. I can pull out some dude ways of getting you to do it. I'd be like, hey, bro. I know little girls that do this. Yeah, that's not going to work. I'll, like, I'd be like, I yeah, I wear, I wear yoga girls. pants just like those yeah. little girls. All I know right? a lot of little girls <laughs> that do it without crying. Why can't you? Yeah, that's not going to work. Like that, that doesn't that doesn't overcome this this sense that I have that's just going to keep me out of the water. Yeah. But when I when I have done snorkeling in really beautiful places, really nice coral, yeah. lots of lots of life under the water, the visual is so beautiful that it's louder than the the fear in my mind, and then I start yeah. to uh, relax and, and actually enjoy it. I think maybe the hardest part for me is. The, the concept at this point in my scuba diving life of being scared of an open water dive is just so not there. So uh, here's an example of, uh, of uh, stretching yourself beyond the limit or pushing yourself to a boundary that you never thought you would do. Um, I did uh, cave dive training. Did I tell you about this? Uh, I feel like you told me about like you kind of had this almost panic moment of like I need to be at the surface. So, or I so need I've to have had my mask I've had two right I've had two relatively decent panic moments. Um, one I was diving in uh, Rotan, and the the way you do the dives there is you don't have to go very far from shore before it drops off pretty much down to like four thousand feet. And so you we went out and we would start our dive deep, hundred and I say hundred fifty feet ish, and you hang out there, and then as you come back towards the shore, you're gradually coming up so you're decompressing as you're coming and all that stuff so it's like it's not as you're moving you're decompressing so it's not a big deal but there's a period of time when you're at that really deep depth 
where you're looking up and you can't really, I mean, the, the surface of the water looks so far away that you start to think, what if my tank stops right now? Like, what if my, my regulator fails or what if, and you kind of get this panicky moment where you're just like, I know for a fact that to get to that surface is going to take a long time, A, and B, when I get to the surface, I'm going to have to go get decompressed because I'm so, I'm, I'm deep enough. I've been down here long enough. Um, so that was one time, but it, it was very much just to control yourself. It's not a big deal. But that, you're not going to do a dive like that initially when you first learn how to scuba dive. You're not going to immediately go do something like that. But then the second time I had kind of one of those moments was learning how to cave dive. Um, I, and I don't have my cave diving certification or anything like that. I was still, I'm still in the process of getting that. It's been a while since I've actually gone. But Clay took me cave diving. And um, one of the scenarios that you have to do is you get in the cave and you're back, in the, you're back in these caves way down in the middle of nowhere. And uh, you have to put a blinder over your mask and you have to go through a drill of trying to find the line so that you can get out in, in a situation where you're, maybe your flashlights go out. And yeah, we're supposed to carry four flashlights at all times, three or four flashlights. But worst case scenarios, you go pitch black and you have to learn how to find your, the line that goes into the cave so that you can actually get out. <laughs> And during that period of time, you can't see jack shit. It's pitch black, and you're breathing from a you know a regulator underwater. You've got these twin twin tanks side mounted, two separate systems that you are learning how to you've learned how to use. And long story short, is that's the second time that I had that type of like feeling. And so when I think about, I'm learning, just afraid the cave would collapse. Le- in. Learning how to do well, there's there's actually been examples of people going into a cave and then on their way back out. The cave looks different because there was a collapse as they had gone through, and now they're coming out. Like, anyways, oh, but the long and the short of it is, after experiencing something like that, thinking about having any type of anxiety over just a regular old open water thirty foot dive is just—it's difficult for oh, me to so wrap my brain around. We're just gonna start off at cave diving, and then I'll have no, oh, then I'll no, 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 not at all. No, I was a, a, I was not, no not at all. That's not what I'm saying at all. No, I, uh, I think that if if it was, I don't know, it would take a lot of. Uh, the motivation's just not there for me. I'd say give it a shot. And I think that... Give, give it a shot. Let's go to the pool and play around. Just a couple of buddies in the pool playing around. Uh, no swim trunks? I'll no. wear Speedos. You'll wear Speedos. It'll be like a... Dude, you can talk me into hanging out at the pool in a Speedo, no problem. But, I, dude, I just hate getting in the water. And the last person who told me they were going to help me learn to... Because I'm not a good swimmer. Because I've spent so little time in the water. And yeah. I'm... Uh, You're not being a good sp- swimmer to be a good pretty, swimmer. I've got pretty low body fat. I'm not very buoyant. I listen to a lot of hip-hop that's why music, we have, so I don't swim well. That's why we, that's why we have a lot of boy. That's, uh, that's why DJ we have buoyancy it. compensators. It I caught it. Okay, but... Uh, <laughs> So oh, Sam Lombardo was the, was the last person who said she was going to teach me how to swim. So I went over to Jason Hyder's house. We got in the pool, and she just laughed at me the whole time. And, man, it's super degrading. Like, it's borderline demoralizing because it's embarrassing for me that it's, that it's something that so I know you, so poorly. Do you think that I would laugh at you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, I wouldn't. I think you would. Oh, hell no. Because I do. <laughs> hell no. It goes, it goes from. Like, I'm, all about, I'm all about helping people overcome that fear, and I'm all about helping people progress. And any little tidbit of information I can have that'll help you progress, I'm not going to laugh at you. I get to panic attack level pretty fast. That's fine. <laughs> That's totally he, fine. He might be up to the challenge. You know? I, uh, Let's do it. Fuck it. Let's do it. I would have no problem learning, uh, helping you learn to swim as well. I Wait, won't promise I won't laugh at some do different you scuba point. Dive? 
No, scuba diving I'm interested in as well. Uh, let's do it. All three of us. Come on, let's go. So, by the way, uh, Kyle Kyle Henderson actually suggests to Nick that he can scuba dive. He just has to pretend the regulator is a pop filter. Yeah, I, that was what I chuckled at while Ben was speaking there. You gave me a look, and you may, I had to look down and read that, <laughs> yeah. man. And I had to give that to... Uh, that when you go to breathe, and it's like... No, he's just saying that if you, I pretend it's a pop filter, I'm just my mouth's gonna stick right to it. Pretend that regulator is a massive penis in your mouth. Oh, well, he might swallow the regulator then. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Come on. <laughs> <He'd be> all, <laughs> <sighs> pretend you're Darth Vader. <sighs> so, isn't I'm, it fun with the headphones I'm, though? I'm really? Super, yeah, no, it's totally awesome. <laughs> It's totally awesome. So I'm super excited because we got a bunch of Spaceland uh, staff members that are going to be going through the scuba course starting next Tuesday. We're going to do classroom work Tuesdays and Thursday of next week and then pool and open water Tuesday and Thursday of the week after that. And it's going to be really fun. I'm with Nick a little bit on scuba diving as far as I just have to have a reason, the excuse. And as you know, Valerie and I are about to go on a trip yep. that has a reason or excuse to want to go scuba diving because there's some really beautiful spots to check out. And this will be our kind of an investigative trip. Where do we like? Where do we want to go? What do we want to do? Yeah. Um, and testing the water with scuba diving because she's been certified, but she's like, I, I don't want to. I don't care to. I'm like, sweetheart, here's some of the pictures. Where, of where was she certified? Do you remember? Uh, we were in, she was in Indiana when she got certified. Okay. So here's what I'll say about that. And that's a lot of quarry diving. Yeah. Quarry diving, lake diving, which is in Texas when you get your uh, scuba, open water scuba. We're going to go to Lake 280, uh, 288 Lake or whatever it is here. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, the visibility isn't that great. And you learn in that type of environment. It can be pretty intimidating. But when you get to a place like Rotan or Australia or Thailand or Hawaii where the water is so crystal clear and there's so much to see, you're so you're not – it's almost like um, – how do I describe it? It's almost like when you get past that fear of skydiving where now you're focused on what's going on in front of you and the skydive that's happening in front of you and you're no longer focused on, oh, my gosh, look at the ground and look how fast we're going. And there's so much going on around you that you don't really have time to like really think about how scared you are. You're just like, oh, my gosh, I'm looking at an octopus and that's amazing or I'm looking at a stingray and that's amazing or I'm diving with sharks. Oh, my gosh, that's totally cool. You're not even worrying about the stuff that you're worrying about now. Um because you're so in, entrenched in the fact that you're in such a beautiful environment and your visibility is so great. You know, one of the one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life was when we, we went to that cave in Florida and dove it. And, you know, we came down through this, like, little chimney, and we came down into this, like, big open space. And when I say big open space, let's say it's probably eight stories tall and maybe three times that wide. And there was somebody uh, all the way across this this cave with a light on that was going, that was continuing on. And I just remember sitting and going, "This is the most amazing thing I've ever seen." And at that point in time, I didn't even have time to be scared because I was so amazed at what I was looking at. And I think that that's, I think diving like that would be the same for you. Initially, you're going to be scared, but once you start focusing on other things, like, "Oh my gosh, look at that cool thing!" and "Oh my gosh, look at that!" and "Wow, I'm looking at that," you're not even going to worry about it anymore. And you're going to have the time of your life, I guarantee. I don't think that I wouldn't enjoy it if I were to get over my fear of the water. That's just that that fear of the water is a big thing. And learning to swim, I mean, I can doggy paddle across a pool. It'll be but fine. the moment that I get water like up my nose, and then that starts to affect my breathing, dude, it's, it's, it's panic attack time after that. Sure, it just <sighs> takes time. you get it. I hate it. you get it. I learned something I don't new. I do it. He cries to Whitney Houston, and he hates water. 
Yeah, anyone who, yeah, I'm surprised you didn't know that well, already. No. Who doesn't cry when they listen to Whitney Houston? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I've been singing the Mr. P song all fucking week. Thank you very Mr. much. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait, it's a good there's song. a Mr. P song? So there's not a Mr. P song, but you saw the Mr. P, you have a Mr. P t-shirt. Yes, I have a Mr. Yeah. P t-shirt. So we talked about this on a previous episode that... When he made that shirt for me, I started thinking Mr. Clean because uh, it was, I, it was Mr. Mr. Bubbles P, is the Mr. shirt, P. and then Mr. Yes, Mr. And then I started listening to the Mr. Clean song, and I got all the lyrics figured out, and then I would sing Mr. P gets rough on dirt and grease and grime and just, and I, it was stuck <laughs> in my head for weeks. So I sang it to DJ, got it stuck in his head, and uh, spread the love. Leo, our new tandem uh, guy, guy who just learned to do tandems, he he. I sang it to him and played uh, yeah. it during his course on several occasions, and now he has it stuck in his head as well. Nice. Oh yeah, you're spreading it. Oh yeah, I feel dude. like oh, nice. I feel like the the mascot of Mr. P is less Mr. Clean and more Mr. Spocko. <laughs> Mr. Spocko, Mr. Spocko. <laughs> I also sing it to Kate. Knife goes I walk in, by guts come now, out. KDP, KDP. There you go. Yeah, she's. It's all fucked in my head. Mr. Spocko, Mr. Spocko. Knife goes in, guts come out. Isn't That's what Osaka Seafood Concern is all about. <laughs> Isn't that... Uh, I mean, I know the Simpsons episode you're referencing, but what? Uh, how do they build Homer's face? It's like a fish. It's like a fish with something else, and they combine it, and it looks like Mr. Spocko. Welcome, Mr. Spocko. Oh, man. I feel like I'm probably going to get people that say I'm racist for just saying Mr. Spocko. <laughs> I'm I'm not upset with it, man. And Dude, I could be. Yeah, he's Asian. I'm dating one. Come on, <laughs> done. We can be as racist against the Orientals as we want. <laughs> Carpet Oriental people are Asian. Just saying. Yeah. Why do you think I went down that road? Shut up, hamburger. Go back to China. Whatever, cheeseburger. <laughs> you like corn dog? Oh, extra large, please. What are you looking up here? Oh, you're this, this is what Ben's talking about. This Mr. Sparkle, yeah, yeah. Mr. Sparkle, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I've never done acid, but I could imagine this is like. Oh, that's what it is—a light bulb and a fish. <laughs> it's Homer Simpson. <laughs> all right, I'm posting this in the comment thread so you guys can all see what we're laughing about. I've never done acid, but I can imagine watching that while doing acid has just got to be a wonderful day, Mr. Sparkle. Oh, my God. Oh, God, Hank, I'm going to stab you in the neck with a knife. What do you say? Oh, God, there's a song that ruined my life for weeks. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to tell another story because goddamn Hank's going to ruin Thank it you, for Hank. me. Thank you, Hank. Thank you, So uh, my buddy Ryan, you met Ryan. He, yeah. Ryan came out for the Big Way event. Uh, one morning, we're getting ready at Ryan's house to go to the drop zone. Saturday morning, I had spent the night at his house Friday before. We get up super early, and we start getting ready to go to the drop zone. And he gets on the internet and puts on this song about <laughs> narwhals. <laughs> And it just it's it's a like a minute and a half long song that just repeats naturally. Like it's like the song that never, never ends. yeah, so the end is the beginning, right? <laughs> okay. And so we listened to it over and over for like thirty minutes and it was the most stuck in my head anything has ever been. <laughs> like the moment my eyes would open in the morning, this narwhal song would start, which I can't even sing it right now because it will all have flashbacks, but maybe I'll post a link to it. But uh, I shared this story with Hank, and Hank just brought it up, and now he's going to get punched in the Way story. to go, Hank. I don't think I want you to post a link to it now. Well, you're going you're gonna to have to see it. Because I have this huge problem that I go back and read and watch these articles. <laughs> and now, oh, Jesus. oh, my God. Even oh, just gosh. looking at it. That looks uh, miserable. Hold on. There's going to be one that's like 10 hours of it. <laughs> so you just want to really embed this in our minds. Narwhal's 10 hours. There it is. So you like the addition of the monitor for us to see what's going on? I do. I like on. that. 
Uh, it it does definitely distract so people are like, what are they looking at? But yeah. if you could put some U-Porn on, that'd be great, Nick. See, we need to... Uh, look, new website, new new sponsor, U-Porn. Isn't there a way that we Porn can Hub? put uh, in OBS? Couldn't we put, like, if I was on the browser on this computer that people could see what I was looking at? Do I you think, think scene thing? five is the desktop view. So preload, <laughs> preload scene five on OBS... Can you give me a second? This is yeah. all technical people. Just the keyboard on the key on the uh, you know your one two three five. Yep. On your uh, m- m- keypad on the number board on your right hand side, I think that should be bound. He's not even listening yes, to me. I am. I'm just Mr. Spocko. You're loading what up? Just, just take it easy. Whoa! No, just, I can't take just it calm easy. Calm down. Oh, you see you, now you see what I'm doing. You're loading. No, I don't see it on screen yet. You were actually you are already paid attention. And what are you doing? You're one Dave? step ahead of what I thought you were. What are you doing, Nick? Uh, <laughs> Daisy. So Nick's Daisy. super excited now because now he's figured out that I set up Give me the video computer Daisy. to broadcast everything he can share. You can we can literally can we listen to it as well. Um, I think I have the audio shut down. I might be wrong. Um, if you actually, I'm po- I'm positive because when we had the echo feedback issue, I shut down all audio sources besides the mixer board to that computer to make sure. Uh, yeah, we were actually getting a huge echo because the cameras, the webcams, were broadcasting to the computer's audio as well as the mixer board, which was get- getting feedback. Um, for everybody in the world that was giving a lot of echo. I'm just so excited that I can show this video right now on Facebook Live. This is making me super happy. How come happy. I'm not... Oh, is it delayed? It's, it's is that why I'm not seeing it? Yes. Oh, <laughs> wow. Amazing. Thanks, Hank. So, oh, my gosh. That is so awesome. Um, I'm positive there's a way to share the audio. And right now, we wouldn't be able to hear it the way it's set up. We'll, f- we'll figure it out next week. Wow. Yeah. Um, Holy crap. <laughs> we just made Nick's day, and Nick's uh, going to have that song stuck in his head tomorrow. Oh, God. If you don't have that song stuck in your head tomorrow, I bet half the staff comes and plays it for you and oh, sticks yeah. it in your head. Yeah, people are going to sing it now. Hang there's on. A, there's a song from a, a movie called Serenity, which is based on the TV series Firefly, called Fruity Odie Bar. Uh, that gets stuck you in You just head. reference six things in a row that I'm not old enough to know about. <laughs> no, no. No, no. You're old Firefly enough to know about Firefly. Firefly is recent. Yeah, it's very oh, recent. Wait, what's it on? It's called Serenity. The movie's called Serenity, but it's based on a TV show called uh, Firefly, which right, yeah, was only one season. But it's called Fruity Odie Bar. Fruity Odie Bar, make a man out of a mouse. Play it. Go look it up. That gets stuck in my head. It's not the Narwhal song. It's Fruity Odie Bar. Speaking of those crickets. Yeah, man. They just invaded the room. God, I hate you so much more. You could totally look it up on YouTube and probably laugh at it, but no. Mr. Odie what? Fruity Odie Bar. Fruity Odie Bar. Um, So we've done a really good job of just taking this into an absolute debacle, (laughs) which is not a bad thing. We've been talking for over three hours. I almost fell asleep halfway through the podcast. I noticed you You, kicked back in that chair at one point. Yeah, that's what alcohol does to me. I I just get super sleepy. I think we've had the high point of tonight, which we had like three people watching. Maybe four. Maybe four. I think we actually made it to four and a half. So, I mean, it, it works what it is. Uh, ben, I really um, appreciate you coming back tonight, talking a little bit about the journey you've gone, that base jumping journey. Uh, I think it's super important for people to see somebody who is considered an expert in a kin sport, somebody who really could probably get away with learning to be, base jump the shortcut ways, still went and did it along the 
proper quote unquote channels, the channels that people would suggest you go through and you appreciate how much more you learned. You appreciate how much better you are. Definitely. Yep. Definitely. Same thing with paragliding and powered parachutes, or excuse me, um, 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 speed flying. Uh, you can go in with this attitude that I know a lot of things already, or you can go into an attitude that I don't know anything. Anytime I go into a learning environment and it's something that I have a familiarity with, but I'm new to, I just say, and if they know I know something like, what level do you know? Assume I know nothing. Well, no, 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 no. Assume I know nothing because I don't know what I don't know yet. So teach me from the beginning because you're either going to reinforce what I know and that's helpful, or you're going to tell me things where I'm like, I never heard that before. Or I never thought of it that way. Uh, yeah, that very well said. That's a great point to make. So I, I think I can't. It's, it's hard for me to say this, but you really serve as a great example. That's the hardest part Ugh, for people to it. learn that it doesn't matter how experienced you are. It doesn't matter how good you become at something. You should be open to being a student. You should be open to learning. And actually, uh, you should be open to learning at you know whatever it is that 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 people look up to me in in skydiving or or feel like I have a large knowledge in skydiving. I'm learning something new in skydiving every day. Yeah. There's there's not a day that goes by that I'm not learning something. It may not be big. Today it may not be a big thing that I learned, but I'm learning something. And uh, there's never a point, when you ever get to a point where you feel like you know everything about something, there's a good chance you don't know everything about that one thing. Um, and so if it's if it's safe to say that I don't know everything about skydiving, which it's super safe to say, then it's definitely safe to say that I'm not going to know everything about paragliding or I'm not going to know everything about scuba diving or I'm not going to know everything about speed flying, base jumping, whatever it is. Uh, and what, so that just means that there's always an opportunity to learn. And the second that you feel that you don't have opportunities to learn, it's the second that you stop learning. Man, just just such a great way to look at it and a lot a lot of our friends in the skydiving world have gotten in sport skydiving to expose themselves and i would really believe and i not really would i really do believe that a large number of sky of our skydiving friends have just that mindset in skydiving uh cody prentice comes to mind cody is doing so well and learning at such a, a good rate jimmy win jimmy winsock if you really want to know his real name is also learning at a good rate because they're going up there with that whole idea of i don't know anything and both of them are far better than they think they are and it's not think they are as as far as they're trying to be humble they truly are humble and don't realize what they do and come into the sport doing that but also as you master the sport of skydiving and and it's such a horrible word because i have 121 hours of free fall which to a lot of our friends is a lot it's not a lot of practice at anything 121 hours of practice is, is very very minimal if you really look at it um it's nice to go and do those other things, those new things like you said. And it doesn't matter if it's aviation-related or not. Right now, one of the new things that I am I just started talking to a buddy about, I found out a buddy is into uh, target archery. And he's yeah. talked about wanting nice. to go. Actually, my vet, who I took his gymnast girl on, a goddamn tandem skydiving, she whipped my butt. Um, so he's invited me to go out and start learning to shoot target archery. And there's that idea and, and that discipline and that focus of actually releasing an arrow down, down range. You know, nice. as he was talking with me, anybody can pull back a bow. It's where you send that the yeah. rest of the way is the big deal. Um, just before I forget, Hank Henry Pruitt asks, is there any more room in that scuba class for staff still? Uh, there is still room, Hank. He said he'll wear a Speedo. <laughs> there is still room. The, the, tr- the trick is... Um, there's about six hours of online stuff you have to do. If you get that today or tomorrow, well, let's say tomorrow, 
Uh, that gives you between now and next Tuesday to to knock that six hours of training out, which I think you could do if you really wanted to put your mind to it. But it's online training, um, and uh, you need to have that done. You would need to have that done by next Tuesday. That being said, uh, we can always schedule some more uh, staff scuba classes down the line if people are interested in doing it. Why are you staring at Mr. P as you say that? Just in case there was any other staff that was there that I could think of that rhymes with the name Schmickelis Schmott. Oh, you mean Rickolus Rot. I know that Rickolus guy. Rickolus Rot. Yeah. Sound, you sound like my mom. Rot. Nicholas <laughs> Rot. I saw that Scott. Um, Mr. Spaco. So I, the, the scuba question, I actually wanted to ask you this question earlier. You said that the incentive isn't good for you. That, you know, like the idea of the juice isn't worth a squeeze to go scuba diving because putting your head underwater. What I believe if, he doesn't know how good the juice is. I mean, I, I really did like snorkeling. Snorkeling was super cool. It was really pretty. Uh, the coral's beautiful. The the animals were beautiful, uh, and I felt pretty safe with the mask and flippers on. What if we have an opportunity? I say we, just you in general. What if you had an opportunity to scuba dive in like a really beautiful location where you saw the video and the pictures from the water, and it's just one of those tropical scenes that that sell scuba diving. Would you find that like now? I have a reason I want to try it. No. Just a little bit. You didn't have to say a word. The facial expression I mean, alone. I, I just, if I'm going to dedicate, I just have other things that would, if, if I had the time to dedicate I just, to a new I thing, feel like I have things that have my interest more than that. I feel like this is a conversation. I've had conversations with many people in the past who are like, no, I'm never going to try skydiving. And you're like, just give it one shot. Just do it once. It's a bucket list item. I guarantee you're not going to be disappointed. Nope. Not going to do it. No. And I'm and like, oh, come on, please. I, I'm not I saying think, I think you'd be not great ever. At- yeah, but just I mean, right now I mean I don't have a lot of free time as it is. It doesn't require a lot of free time, bro. It, <sighs> I just if you're telling me I got to do the six hours of stuff to even it, to get it ready, it says six hours. I don't think it's gonna take yeah, six I hours. Just, you, you lost me. At you got to do this stuff. Like that's just it's just there's some stuff to do. I'm just saying the juice is definitely some, worth the squeeze. As someone, okay, as someone who drinks uh, drinks from the juice on a frequent basis, the juice. We is all definitely know you're the on the juice. Look at those guns. But no, for real. Ask me in like six months, and and we'll talk about it. Maybe uh, I'll, I'll I'll go You're for a solid. You're gonna feel really bad if I'm dead in six months. Be like, I should have done it six months ago when Ben was still here. God, I miss that man. <laughs> just don't die, and then we'll be okay. Well, Way no to turn guarantees. that really morbid. Thanks, no guarantees. Ben. I mean, what? No guarantees. I'm not gonna die scuba diving. All right, I'm gonna get eaten by a goddamn shark. We're not gonna in the pool. Really? Yeah, <laughs> I've seen those teeth you got. There's sharks in the water. I'll get drowned by a grumpy cat at least. I think you're gonna have. I think you would have a lot more fun than you actually think. Fears are irrational. You don't um, know me. That's actually, why they're called fears sometimes. And so you, you can't always rationalize. One of the things that you talked about is doing BJJ, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I've talked about it with you for a while, but you know why I haven't done that yet? You touch each other's faces a lot. And you know how I feel about touching faces. Dude, that's one of my favorite things about rolling he, with someone. But he touches dicks with this dick all the time. <laughs> no, but Dude. like like jujitsu when you when you just even a total stranger and you start to roll on the mat, it's like that bubble, your personal bubble is so gone. Yeah. Imagine awesome. how you're gonna feel how, how imagine how you're gonna feel as a newbie jujitsu person when you have that first time that you accidentally fart. It's going to happen. It's probably already has. You know, I've been in uh, a few yoga classes where yeah. a mystery <laughs> fart comes from the middle of the class. Yeah. And it's like, you're not even allowed to laugh. It's fucking <laughs> insane, these people. That's I couldn't <laughs> do yoga then because I would lose How do you make it through? I would funny. immediately laugh. 
I mean, I would at least snicker. Yeah, I'm, I mean, there's a, there's a small snicker, but it's very shunned. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's exactly how it sounds. But I mean, it's it's got to be a, a oh, little God. tiny girl fart. It's more of a fluff <laughs> fart, oh. man. Oh God! But you know, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> let's not let's not go down this road. <laughs> You are clicking stuff on the screen there. Oh, that's your laptop, not my. Oh, not, shit. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, who knows? Maybe. You know, I actually hit Control-C on one keyboard and <laughs> Control-V on an opposite keyboard. <laughs> Surprise, it didn't work. <laughs> you got too many computers set in front of you working it and doing the job. So, <laughs> KDP farts. Yes, she does fart, Hank. It's just not the same uh, direction. It's hard to tell when she's queefing or farting, to uh, be completely come on. honest. Let's not, let's not it's do a quarf. Let's not do this. It's a quarf, for sure. <laughs> Dude, the, the girl has taught her to queef, taught herself to queef on command. There, there is a skill set there. She can do it. Her vagina breathes. <laughs> so, thanks for tuning in to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, what, there is no better way let me than start, to say let me start this music over dude, here thank you oh, everybody boo. for hanging out with Ben Nelson boo earns next week we are, are you taking saying boo or boo earns <laughs> I'm saying boo earns you do voice as well man we're gonna have to keep you on for that god damn it Bobby um, next, next week I'll tell you what <laughs> if you weren't my own son I would hug you right now <laughs> Next week we're taking the week off. I actually have a good friend of mine, David Esterwood, who actually has joined us at some point here. Is going to be in from out of town, so we're taking the week off. Uh, Valerie's out of town as well, so I have a lot of dog sitting duties. And um, I think both of you have been in here with the animals. It gets just to be a little bit reckless. It does. Uh, the week after that, mostly the Nick animal. We mentioned June twentieth. We are going to have uh, Luke Hively. He's going to join us and talk a lot about uh, first of all his trips in, in Europe. He does a lot of European stuff going on. He also has done a lot of the proxy base flight and still wingsuit jumping in general. Nick, you are so sexy when you row at the camera. Uh, he is making love to the camera. There's no doubt yeah, they are, about they it. They already saw it. You're yeah. seeing the replay. We're getting the replay. Yeah, it's over. Um, it, it's done, but I'm just now keeping up. Um, we'll do that. The week after that, actually, um, I have not confirmed a date with yet, but I've got a couple of different people on the line, and it really comes up to which one of them uh, is more pressing. There, there's some of our guests who are available regularly, and some who are available just intermittently. So I'm really playing one or two out by ear right there and figuring out what we can. Yeah, well, I'm I definitely going to uh, be here for the tri-tip Luke Hively night. You're here for the tri-tip, yeah. I mean the Luke Hively. I think yeah. June 16th I got some stuff. What? So let's not have one then. Uh, that's cool. That's our off week. That's next week, right? I don't know. So June 15th, I'm not available. June 15th, all of next week we're off. We're are good to go. Are you going through scuba course? Uh, yeah, my uh, best friend, Schmen Schmelson. You've never heard of him. <laughs> He sounds like a douche. Oh, the guy you kicked off your free fly team. Yeah, we... Uh, <laughs> I didn't do that. There was a restructuring. No, there, there's no it team. It was restructured. There's no team anymore. It's over. Yeah. It's over. You, were ju you just got off a sinking ship early, Ben. That's all you did, man. Um, no, June 20th is two weeks from today. June 15th, we are definitely off. Uh, the week after that, not 100% sure on the dates um, and who it's going to be, but the 27th or 29th. And then one week after that, we have a very, very special guest, and that's the one I still can't tell you about. That's fine. I don't even care. That is, you will fucking care when this <laughs> Am person I gonna walks in the room. Am I going to do backflips? Dude. You're I, not going to tell me until they come in? Dude, you and I are going to start the show. We're going to play the music, and we're going to talk. Oh, God, and it then, better be Jesus. It better be the second coming of Christ. This person will walk into the room, and you will, you, you will hug this person. 
Well, to be fair, he hugs a lot, a lot of people. Of people. Yeah, I know it was a pretty easy great. call. You you will love it. And really, I say it's a special guest for the show, and it really, 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 I think is. But it's a special guest for for uh, for us as the show, not the the audience. The audience, I think, will enjoy it as well. Um, so we're playing that week by ear because you're going to the Revolution Boogie. Yeah, as so well. So are you. And when you come Viva back, La Revolucion. La Revolucion. it's a little bit up in the air. So we're having to play that one. We're have to juggle that date just a little bit. You know what I like especially about these headphones is before before you could hear me, I might be saying some smart ass shit in the microphone, but you'd like you'd just be over there talking, so oh, you might not can hear, hear it. it now. But now you hear it. Oh yeah. Any subtle comments, any any uh, conversations. Uh, any uh, <laughs> noises like that all come uh, through uh, clearly uh, now. Uh, have you actually taken I the headphones off? Uh, I tried once and it was uh, it was too weird. Yeah. I couldn't do it anymore. But to so uh, much so better with the to go back to Revolutionary uh, Revolution Boogie up in Dallas. This on is three and a half July hours weekend. long. We got to wrap this up. Soon. I'm trying what? to, but go ahead and go and throw. I was just throwing. I was throwing a Revolution Boogie. Okay, throwing, okay. For, for Ken, Spaceland Ken Dallas. Stone and Scott Spaceland Dallas Revolution Boogie Fourth of July. We're doing a head up record. Texas record. They're doing a wingsuit record. Nick's gonna be there shooting video. And kissing dudes. And kissing lots of dudes. <laughs> Tons of dudes. Uh, it's going to be fun. <laughs> Bring your ladies. So Bring Nick, your ladies. You know what the next step is, man. You party? know what to do. I'm going to start the yeah. party. Oh, here it comes. Hey, is the Don't, audio. Yeah, it's already down. <laughs> <laughs> Fool me once. Here it comes. <laughs> oh, my God. You can't get fooled Love again. me. Love me. So, guys, thank you for checking it out. Thank you for listening to uh, po- uh, Gravity Lab uh, Radio. In the future, go ahead... What? Uh, this you is outro. The- I hit outro. You, you did, did not. not. Oh, shit. There he goes. Uh, guys, thank you for joining Gravity Lab Radio. Thank you for listening to us. Uh, please share this Facebook video. Please go down to the website or go to uh, your uh, podcast player. Download Gravity Lab Radio. Check us out. Share the love. Till then, that is Nick. This has been. Yo. I'm DJ Blue Skies, and we are out of here. Peace out. <laughs>